it's about getting into schools and talking to young people because you know I, I know that people can change uh, and, it, and it's about talking to people and getting them to understand and perhaps step back from violence and, and prejudice and whatever and we just need to work together and keep on the good fight there absolutely Hey there guys, we are ecstatically happy to announce that we are associated with the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. The times are changing and with the unfortunate death of Sophie, those changes have made a massive impact for the future. If Sophie was with us still today, I can guarantee what you are doing will still be reaching so many lives of young teenagers, young adults and those who wish to be as different as possible. So thank you very much. To find out more about this incredible foundation and all the work they do, and more importantly, how you can help, head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com. Hi, I'm John McIver. I'm an author and I'm a journalist, and I'm on the Chronicles of Podcast with Jamie and Tom. Oh yeah, it's the 59th edition of the Chronicles of Podcast. We are almost at six and oh, we're almost 60, not years old, because obviously that'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Because we'd be here like, oh, welcome to Chronicles of Podcast. <laughs> it's basically what would happen. Um, but it's the 59th edition and Jamie, oh, double hands, hit double wave. Hiya, what's going on? It's the Chronicles of John McIver. Is that correct? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it really is. Wonderful. Yeah, good. Excellent. So uh, we'll get this car back onto it. Just got just to adjust the, the wheel shortly. There we go. Lovely. I'll drive. Hit it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 59th edition of the Chronicles of Podcast. And these are the Chronicles of Joel McIver. It is I, the bearded Brummy Jamie, and joining me as always, say it with me, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this handsome devil over here. It's the Scotsman Tom. What was the tune you sang there for these? Holy Diver. It was Holy Diver. You know when you know it and you go, my brain knows what that is. Why does my brain know what that is? But I couldn't quite work it out. Um, I don't know why. I know I just used to go, before, do you know what? I'm going to start making little tunes. So. Good, I like it. It's good. It's always good to develop and, you know, adapt and whatnot. Um, but Jamie, the <laughs> hardest hitting question of the week, the biggest question I need to know, Ooh. I need an answer for it, all right? I, I, I just need it, okay? okay? I feel on the spot, but let's go. Does a straw have one or two holes? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> two. It's got two it's holes, a... yeah? yeah? But it's, it also goes all the way through. And it's, it's an no. opening and a closing, because you could put your finger on the top and there's still a hole at the bottom, and vice versa. So I'm going to say two. You think? Okay. So you're going to see, I think it's got one. One hole straight through. Yeah. Also, I was thinking about. Yeah, that's that, that. You don't have to change your mind because I because I that's, no, that's no, just no. my thing. 
I could see I could see the logic for both answers. We'll have to think of that one. It does. It's, it's it's a bit of a treat that I feel. It is a little bit of a treat. It's great podcast material when you sit there going, hmm. hmm. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I was going, hmm. what's going on? <laughs> it's like in, in the intro then when I was like, is it John McCartney? You're going, like, I need some context. Like, I need you to respond. <laughs> If you're gonna nod at me, everyone's gonna be like, is, "Is it broken? Is it? I can't, I can't hear him. What's going on? Why well, can't hear it? Oh, there he is! Fucking hell, it's getting shit out of me." Um, I'm, not used, to needing, there, I'm not used to needing to talk in the intro. It threw me off. All right. I need some response, otherwise I'm gonna be on. Oh, um, I don't know where I'm going. That's quite honestly. Yeah, know. which is one of those things. I saw it on, a, on an NFL post. They were asking the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, does a straw have one or two holes? And they were going, Oh, god damn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a question to ask an NFL team. I know it's great, though. I love that we're getting massively thrown off. They think we're going to talk about football, and they go, Guys, um, this, uh, Jason Kelsey, does a straw have one or two holes? Wait, what <laughs> <laughs> was this before or after the game? Because I feel like it's going to really throw them off the game if it's before. Before, oh. It was just yeah. like a training session. I was like, I've got to ask Jamie that question. <laughs> That's a superb question. <laughs> oh, again, I'm going to say it. No one's going to answer, but I'm going to say it anyway. Audience, what do you think? One or two? I need to know. I wish you back on the socials to see what people say. I think but sure. how shit's going to... Because obviously we don't listen to the treatings before they ha- before we get them. So no. what are the odds that Callum's going to throw that in there? We'll be like, ah! Oh! Does, does Callum watch the NFL? Yeah, he's a massive Seahawks fan. Okay, so it could happen. There are chances it could happen. We shall Absolutely. find out later on today. But there was a really random... You know when you like... I was at the bus stop, and I just started to randomly reminisce, and I was just thinking about shit that happened in my past. When I was at school back up north, right, I remember this fully. Do you remember the... Did you ever have a PlayStation when you were a kid? The what? The first PlayStation, number one? I was an, N- I was an N64 kid. I didn't have a PlayStation. Oh, okay. So there's a game called Odd World's Abe's Odyssey, yeah? Oh, I remember that, though. I had it on PC. Right. And then the second game was Oddworld Abe's Exodus. Mm. Right? So I had the second game, Abe's Exodus, and this kid at school was like, oh, which man if I borrow it? And I was like, oh, I was a bit unsure because I was leaving. I was moving to go live in Gloucester. So I was like, oh, I don't know because I'm leaving, you know, and if you don't get back to me in time, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, this kid pestered and pestered the fuck out of me, okay? So I went, okay, I'm leaving in two weeks. I was like, so you got two weeks, to, two weeks to play it, whatever, but I'll have it back after, after you know, before I leave. And he's like, yeah, 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 no worries. Got to the last day, of, it got to about four days before I was leaving, and he was like, I'm not giving back to you. I was like, well, what do you mean not giving back to me? He's like, well, you took ages to let me borrow it, so I'm going to keep it. I was like, no, 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 no. This is not how this works. It's like, I own that that is my game. I'd like it back before I leave. Yeah, he didn't want to get back. He was really reluctant. He's like, no, because you took too long to give it to me, so I'm going to keep it. It don't work like that, mate. Exactly. But we were like 12, like, huh. you know, like kids, like knobheads. And then all of a sudden it took like five of my mates to go up to him and be like, you're going to fucking give him this game, mate, yeah? Because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the very, very last day of school to get it back to me. I was going to say, did you actually yeah, get I it know. back? Yeah, That's I got it back, yeah. Not like, I know, right? I was a bit like, this is weird. Like, because I wasn't the most confident child. I didn't come out of my shelter. I was fifteen years old. With people, mm. people aren't hard to believe. But so I was a bit like, "What?" I was like, "I want no, I want my game back." Like, what do you mean? I can't understand. You're going to keep it because I took too long to let you borrow it. It's not how this works. <laughs> I just can't even understand his logic. 
It's like, can I borrow your phone? Just want to send a message. No, I really didn't. No, I just I won't, I won't take too long. And then they go, oh, okay, I suppose you can have it then. You go, fantastic, perfect. Um, so, right, well, I'm going to keep this because you took too long to give it to me. So I should keep this phone, all right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. It makes literally no sense whatsoever. No, absolute uh, bloody bastard. Aren't teenagers wonderful? Um, so, yeah, but I just find that nuts. I just want to share that story with you, Jamie. I like it. That is incredibly nuts and a very random memory to come into your mind, but I like it. It was. I don't know why I thought about it. I keep getting it every now and again and I go, oh, fuck yeah, that happened. Um, Like, being a kid, I was weird as a kid before I again became out of my shell. I remember I was just uh, hanging over some stairs, just spitting, see how long it took to hit the floor. Right? Because I'm weird. pig. I I was 11, 12 years old. Just spitting over over a balcony and seeing how long because the stairs were quite long. First, it took ages to go down, and I found it fascinating. Until <laughs> the biggest school bully happened to come walking up the <laughs> stairs at that point, and it hit him square on the top of the head. And he came charging, and I mean, he came charging up those stairs, Jamie. I'm not surprised. Uh, and he, as he went to grab hold of me, a teacher came out and was like, "Come into class, guys." I was like, "Woo!" <laughs> <laughs> But then after school, he kicked the shit out of you. <laughs> I just went, oh, dude, sorry. I, 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 you know, I was just seeing how long it took to hit the floor. Like, I actually wasn't intentionally trying to hit you. Like, and he was like, oh, oh, yeah, fair. No worries. What? Like, oh, okay. Yeah, that would not have flown in my school. I would have gone, I couldn't give a shit. You still got me. I'm kicking your ass. I, I never, I've never been in a fight in my life. Normally. So it's never, ever happened. No. People um, find it hard to believe yeah. when I tell them that. I'm quite glad it's not just me. I've never had a fight well, in my life. No. I do think that's quite worrying that people find it hard to believe, though. <laughs> Birmingham. Yeah, fair. Um, <laughs> you, you, you got me there. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Uh, anyway, how are you doing, my friend? Are you, are you well? well? I'm good. I did just want to bring something up to you briefly before we get into the how are you's. Facebook Marketplace, we've had a moan about this before, and this got to me today. When you sold on things on there, have you ever had people just message you going, what's your address? Like, I had no. a guy message me and he was like, what's your address? I was like, um, come again. Are you interested in this item? Is it still available? Hello? I'm not just going to give you my address, dickhead. What the fuck? I gave him a postcode instead. I was like, he's like, too far. I was like, then just say what area do you live in so I can see how far away it is. Structure a sentence. Basic English, not what's your address? Yeah, why just wait till the wife's gone out first and then you can come over and ain't no <laughs> fuck me. All right? <laughs> the wife's here, my friend. Like, you're being a bit too blunt about this. Bit too, said to Facebook Marketplace, not Grinder. I expect them on but then, but then, But then again, like, normally with uh, online, it's always like, is this still available? Um, even if it says sold, um, and you go, no or yes, and then they don't respond anyway, which is yeah, weird. Yeah, I've had that quite but, a lot. But... This was fucking, this has reminded me, this is hilarious. The New York Giants played the Green Bay Packers yesterday at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London, right? And there are so many scamming tout people that are pricks on Facebook because they share them all over the NFL pages. Anyway, <laughs> this is so good. A guy received a message from this tout being like, got two tickets for uh, for Green Bay Packers Giants game if you're still interested. Bear in mind, Jamie, the game was yesterday, right? Yeah. <laughs> And he was like, no, I'm good, thanks. What makes you think I'd want the tickets anyway? The game's kicked off. <laughs> and he and he was like, 
oh, I've got them for this block. This is how much I want from you. He went, no, no, I don't think you listen to me, you, you fucking prick. The game's kicked off. It's already started. I don't want your tickets. And he then again messaged him and was like, I'll send you for this much. He went, but dude, I'm at the fucking game. I took a photo of him <laughs> at the game while it's going on. <laughs> like, fuck off. <laughs> As if he tried to sell the tickets after the game had started. Well, it was during the, yeah, during the game, and the, the dude he was messaging was already there at the game itself anyway. Absolutely amazing. That is just... What a plank. I know, but it's because they obviously have no interest. They buy the tickets at how much they can get them for, pretend they've got them, sell them on for, like, fucking loads of money, they disappear. Exactly, and then when they don't sell them, they start panicking that they've wasted their money. Yeah, or oh, there was one, um, they'd uh, bought tickets off StubHub, um, or via GoGo, one of those stupid ticket reselling site things, and the person couldn't actually fulfill selling the tickets to them, so they had to have all their money refunded, so they couldn't go anyway. How fucking shit is that? Jesus Christ. Oh, I hate those websites. It's There's just... got to be a way to stop touting. There's got to be a way to stop it, because it's ridiculous now. What the fuck? I don't know how they can... You've got no proof for what they're going to do. The ticket is they're buying it, do you? That's the problem. It's like Ticketmaster under fire because of this whole demand. They're basing the tickets on the price. Sorry, they're basing the ticket price on the demand of the tickets now. Just buy those Harry Styles tickets that I went for for Lena were like 300 odd quid. Disgusting. Stupid. Bloody stupid. Grumble, grumble, Absolutely grumble. Disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> We're old now. We moan about <laughs> these things. I still want to go see fucking Harry Styles anyway. Yeah, I didn't really um, want to go. I weren't that bothered, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you weren't. So it's all good. Um, anyway, how are you doing, yeah. my friend? Are you well? I'm I'm very well. I'm very. I'm, I don't know. I'm feeling quite energetic today. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the uh, cup of hot chocolate to keep me going. But I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm liking it. How are you? Nice. Yeah, I'm absolutely fucked. <laughs> I am so tired. It's insane. Obviously, we'll get into it in the catch up. But Jamie, like, holy ass! I don't. I'm in as knackered in ages. Plus, Rihanna in today was disgusting. So, and then we just did a massive interview after I just got back from work, and now we're recording the show. So it's just like, does it ever end? Does it ever stop? I'm so tired. Um, because obviously, I straight after this, I'm going straight to bed. I've got to be up at seven a.m. <laughs> oh, Rick, yeah, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> but you get to spend your evening with me. Oh, this is very true. This is very, very true. Um, so, yeah, man, I'm just fucked, uh, to be quite honest with you. So, hey, there we are. been a busy boy, which we'll find out with shortly. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, what's been going on with your week, man? What's been going on? Uh, I have literally worked. I've done nothing since we last spoke. Because <laughs> these stupid two till ten shifts, I've just workedy, workedy, work, work, work. And I did two 13-hour shifts last week to try and get a bit of overtime in. So, yeah, I've just been working. Literally and it turns into a massive asshole. <laughs> When you're tired. <laughs> oh, how rude. So I was just like, I don't think I'll text him for the rest of the weekend. I think I'll leave him alone. How rude. I was not being an arsehole. Uh, maybe it's just, rude. it's one of those. Uh, well, I hope you all enjoyed the final episode of Two Colors. <laughs> as soon as you finish watching this, right, go to YouTube and put Key and Peel uh, text messaging. And there's a, a, a little short they do about how they, they completely misinterpret their texts. And it's fucking hilarious. I, okay. It's so good. Like, because when I'm obviously mentioned, so just for everyone listening to this, please go and contribute to Norm McNeil's Indiegogo because fucking what an absolute legend that guy is. I want to read that book so badly. Same. Um, 
But I messaged Jamie and politely said, Jamie, if you don't mind, as I'm currently away right now, would you mind sharing his stuff on our socials? And he went, yeah, fine. <laughs> okay, that wasn't meant... Okay, now I can see why you would have... Yeah. Yeah, so fine. I was like... I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll leave you alone for the rest of the weekend. I'll just, I'm uh, just going to voice note from now on. I think it's easier. Because that was more of a, yeah, fine. Not a, yeah, fine. We could do it yourself. Fucker. <laughs> you lazy prick. <laughs> I'll do it all, shall I? No, it was not grumpy. I was in a good Well, place. I take that back. I apologise. Um, but yeah, working a lot, mate, with kids is fucking, that must be intense. You'd think that, but to be fair, I didn't really see it. Because I left for work early in the morning before she went to school, and I got back and she was in bed. So I only just saw for about five minutes. So. Well, I mean, the day after, the day after oh, the two yeah. out, the two. Yeah, to be fair, she's all right. She's been good as gold, so I can't complain. Good. Yeah. So the only thing I have really done was today, actually, I went to a phonics workshop, so I've learned how to read like a child. What? Phonics. <laughs> Basically, for the way kids learn how to read now is through phonics. So it's like you do the letter sounds. So okay. M, N, O, P, not M, N, O, P. And to help the parents know how to teach the children, there was like a phonics workshop. So I went to that earlier on today to help the kid. So, yeah, that's like literally the only thing I've really done this week. I don't think I remember ever doing the alphabet that way ever. Like, no, alpha. it's a fairly new. It's a fairly new thing. Uh, duh. Yeah, it's a fairly new thing. Is it F? F? Yeah, F. F and then it's like. G. And it's like, and you've got your special friends, S and H, they're special friends because they say shh. And for TH, they're special friends, they are. God, H gets around a bit, doesn't it? It does, it, doesn't it? <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Little bitch. Other than that, watching boys, because um, it's been quite quiet shifts at work, I've been watching shit on my phone as I always do. Um, I took a week off 24 this week. So I finished season one. I was like, I'm going to have a week off and then kick it up again this week. So I can report more on that next week. Gonna carry on with that. Um, watching the usual weekly shows and or She-Hulk. She-Hulk was incredible this week. I don't care what anyone says, it was incredible. Um, we carrying on with the crown. I don't care what anyone says. It, again, it's an incredible show. And because you know, no, I can't. I was gonna say it sarcastically, but no, it's Halloween. I'm not saying it. Um, <laughs> so I like to try squeezing as many horror movies as I physically can. So I watched the Friday the 13th remake. Right, not great. And I watched Hellraiser 2 and 3. Always a great laugh when I'm watching Hellraiser because they're great films. That's it. That's been my week. I've not done anything. I've got a busy week this week, though, so I'll have more to report next week. Nice. Sounds good. What about you, Mr. Socialising? Um, so obviously I've been doing a lot of uh, fucking reannering. That's literally all I've been doing for the past God knows how long. But lovingly, I had three days off over the weekend, which is great. So I didn't work Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Um, so other than reentering on Friday, we, me and Karis went down to see Corey Wells in Bristol. Um, he was playing a little intimate few shows around the UK. Uh, he's not a very well-known artist. I know him because Braden, uh, from Stay Cozy, obviously, uh, was humming one of his songs on the phone once. And I was like, that sounds amazing. What song is that? So he told me, and I've been a massive Corey Wells fan ever since. Um, so he did a bit of UK tour, um, so I went down to Rough Trade in Bristol. What was really mental was me and Karis went down and I bumped into someone I worked with here in Cardiff. And I was like, <laughs> the fuck are you doing here? Like, <laughs> and her other half uh, booked a singer on to the tour. So they were there for that to see him. 
Um, oh, nice. Which is, which is quite cool, called One Man Boycott. Um, so, yeah, Youth Fountain was really, really cool, really good. But Corey was just phenomenal. And, like, it's so weird. It's my first ever, like, acoustic intimate show. So mm. there's no headbanging, no jumping around. It's just people standing there swaying and singing. It was mint as fuck. It's nice. Um, it was so lush. And Corey was like, you know, I, I'm so grateful because I thought zero people were going to be here. And it was, like, quite packed. Um, so it was just amazing. Like, Keris loved it. And she's never listened to him. She's like, oh, my God. I thought it was a bit weird about how intimate and, like, quiet it was. But it was just, it was fucking great. Um, and I got to meet the man afterwards. Um, I got his email to get on the show. He said he'd love to come on the show. So I've got that sorted. That's all been done. Yeah, I really hope so. Um, and yeah, it was just a really great human. Got to have a photo with him and everything. So that was such a great way to kick off the weekend. On the Friday, on the Thursday night, me and Keris finished wedding season on Disney+. Plus. Oh my ah, God, yes. I cannot recommend that show. The way that ended was like what the fuck so i really hope there's a season two um but it was really weird because keris totally called it she literally said something and then that thing happened i was like whoa what the fuck like it was so weird it's really fucking good really good so i really highly recommend wedding season on disney plus hilarious as fuck really great storyline um really like nail biting shit it's good it's not as good as any mirrors in the building but it's still fucking good um so we finished that. Saturday, um, me and Keris went down to Oxford uh, for, the, for the day to go meet some of my, some of my family. We're going to meet us there because we, Jamie, went to watch Darren Brown live. Ooh, Jamie Westwood. How was that? Oh, my God. It was amazing. Um, I, won't spoil, I won't spoil it, but it's it, the, the very first thing that happened, Abby, one of our closest family friends, got sent to the stage, hypnotised and sent backstage. And we were like, what, what the fuck? And then the show started. And we are like, what the fuck? Fuck! Like, what the hell is going on? So, yeah, that was, it was, it was great. Like, and the things that, that she did on the stage, she could still do now, it's insane. I'm not giving anything away because it's meant to be a secret. Okay, you've, got to tell, you've got to tell me this after the show because I'm, I'm totally intrigued. Yeah, like we're not allowed to spoil it because obviously he's still touring, and if anyone that listens to this is going, I don't, it, you know, he's asked it to be yeah. kept secret. So, um, <laughs> mental. I lost thirty seconds of my life that I'd really like back. <laughs> like mental shit, dude. Okay, um, I'm really intrigued now. What the fuck? It was so good. It was so good. Um, I pussied that at one point because. There was a point where I we it could have got selected and then I was like, no, oh, I don't really want to go. And then I was like, oh, I kind of wish I had now. I wish I hadn't got sort of like been a bit of a pussy artist. So, um, yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you, I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. If anyone is intrigued and wants to know and isn't going and would like to know, just drop me a message or drop us an email in the Chronicles of Podcast uh, at gmail.com and I will happily uh, let you know and tell you what happened. Um, so that was sick as fuck. And then we traveled back yesterday um, and it was NFL Sunday. So I know Karis isn't a massive fan. Well, she, she likes it, but she won't sit and watch it all. So I was like, babe, have a film afternoon. Watch whatever the fuck you like. Go crazy. And I'll happily watch it with you. So we watched Luckiest Girl Alive on Netflix with Mila Kunis. Not seen it. Um, quite dark. Quite dark. She really enjoyed it. Bless her. She really, really enjoyed it. Um and I can't think of who did anything or watched anything before the NFL started. I don't think we did. 
Um, so yeah, and then today I've been reanimating my ass off. Uh, I don't think I've seen so many patients in my entire life. Uh, and then had to come home. We did a we just did a great fucking interview. Oh yeah, should be out next Friday. Massive shout out to Jasmine at the Noise Cartel and to the Noise Cartel for arranging that all for us. Unbelievable! So excited to release it. And uh, Jamie, here we are. Here we are indeed. It's a late one this week, but we are loving life. It's fine. It's fine. We're loving it. Absolutely, it's great. But we are caught up, sir. So that means one thing. Shall, Shall we? we Braden, stay cozy. All right. Is this thing on? Well, howdy doody, everybody. This is Braden Barry from Say We Can Fly, founder of Stay Cozy Clothing. Your one-stop shop for the coziest, most fashionable hoodies, t-shirts, and more. Gorsh, Mickey. That's right, folks. And we're proud to say that we are now sponsoring... The Chronicles of Podcast. Ouch. Hosted by Tom and Jamie. <laughs> like, you can get 10% off, man. That's right, Shaggy. Just use the special code, The Chronicles, at checkout. Oh, boys. Oh. Still goes down as my favorite advert of all time. It's the best advert ever. Absolutely. But uh, I think we should, uh, shall we? Shall we? Shall we? Oh, should we get on. to your favorite separate of the week? Go on. Go on. It's time for Callum's Yeah, it is. Do you want to know something? Callum will be able to tell you. And Callum's treachings. It's cereal soup. Ooh. So, Callum returns once again for another week of superior treachings. So, Jamie, let's just get right on in there, shall we? Dig in. What is Callum treachings this week? The permission slips for the field trips that they went on on the Magic School Bus must have been insane. <laughs> oh my God, could you imagine? Uh, so I'm going to this, we're, we're going to Neptune, um, very gaseous planet. Um, you're going to where, sorry? Neptune. Uh, they obviously thought it was some like, just some place in Arizona, so like, Probably. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, like not the actual planet itself. Is that? Is this going to cost me anything? No, cool, you can go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to shrink your kids yeah, down. I was going to say we're going to shrink your kids inside down to the human level. body. <laughs> we're going to be discovering how intestines work. <laughs> oh, <course>. Okay. <laughs> Could you imagine if you're like, oh, yeah, Mrs. Well, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Oh, lovely bit of backy, that <laughs> lovely bit of weed, yeah. <laughs> that, that teacher of yours, she's got wicked sense of humour, isn't she? She's a... <laughs> I'm going to be to Uranus, <laughs> not the planet. <laughs> I used to love those games on the PC, though. I used to love playing Magic Roundabout. Magic, Magic Roundabout, uh, Magic School Bus. <laughs> Sorry, too many magic shit going on these yeah, days. I, know, yeah. I was talking about the magic roundabout at work. That's why it's really thrilled me. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. Why has that never been made? There's like a picture. Just like someone's made the permission slip for the magic school bus. So Do you reckon they did? We've got to see if we can find them, surely. <laughs> oh, I hope so. No. If there is, I'm going to put it on this video. I'm going to see if I can find one. <laughs> that is fucking hilarious. Yeah, they must be insane. That is absolutely <laughs> That's really tickled my imagination. I love that. That's amazing. Massive strong start, though. We love a strong start. Superb start. <sighs> but we cra- we carry on. Oh, what else is Callum treating us this week? 
Adding ice cream to your shopping cart immediately starts the time of your food shop. <laughs> I'd love it made like a ticking sound as so like a bomb's about to go off. <laughs> I feel Do we like need they- it? Do we need it? They should come with little clocks on frozen food so you know how long it takes before you've got to get that shit home into your freezer. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, like, you get shut in the air or something. No, I'm joking. Um, Billy Stream. <laughs> Don't waste Billy Jerry's motherfucker. <laughs> they, put, they put the freezers in the middle of the uh, middle of shops, don't they? So yes. you're like, because obviously you can't, you can't, like, go through the hours and get to the freezer and go, I'll come here last and then fuck off to the end and then come back. And that's just mental shit. Who shops like that? I've never understood it. Most shops seem to start with the fridges, then go to the shelf stuff, then frozen, and then produce. It literally makes no sense. I don't get it. Have your fresh it's and frozen all- last. Yeah. Fucking Egypts. Yeah, but it's so, it's so true, though, because then you're like, oh. And then you get in the car, you go, is this going to, we need to go here. Is this going to make it? Like, no, no, it's not. We're going to have to go on first. We can't make it. We can't make it to on this. Like, the norms are going to have to wait. <laughs> My Neapolitan life depends on this, dear. Just put your foot down. <laughs> Neapolitan? It's not a Neapolitan either. It's got to be, you know. Either Ben and Jerry's half-baked, uh, any minty goodness. I love coffee ice cream, but no one really sells it, do they? Is that a really Tory thing to say? A little bit. Well, no, co- coffee ice cream isn't Tory. If you'd say, I love a tiramisu ice cream, that'd be very Tory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's made from goat's Cornish ice cream. Yeah. 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 But I, do, I love coffee-flavoured shit. I remember when I was at school, um, I was 13, and my first ever lesson in food technology, and they're like, you can make something nice and simple. So I made coffee cake, and it took us fucking ages. <laughs> We're going to say it's so, a cup of coffee. <laughs> I made it so strong. That like, I was, I was after school, the teacher was like, fucking hell, like, come on, let's get, this, let's get you out of here. I was going, la, 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 la. I just like tubing up the icing and stuff. Like, it's loving life. And she's like, I've got to go bloody home, Tom. Can you hurry up? <laughs> I'm high. I'm wired and all the coffee mist. I just need to keep going. <laughs> oh, I loved it. It was so delicious. But yeah, I made that shit super strong. But Caleb's not wrong. Cal- not they need to put the fucking freeze at the end of the store so we can get out ASAP and get gone. It's like when the queues are massive, you're like, oh, shit. I've got time to make... We might as well eat it now. Give me a fork and a spoon. Fork. Give me a spoon now. I'll eat it now. Fuck it. Fuck it. I'll eat it now. I remember when I used to make and sell ice cream, I literally had a customer turn up for collection with a spoon, and they sat and ate it in the car on the way home because they didn't want it to melt. I was like... That's amazing. That is dedication. That is dedication. That is dedication, of course. Of course. You really should start that again. I kind of want to. I keep thinking about it lately. I kind of want to. Finding time Westies for it, ice cream, oh, motherfuckers. I loved it so But much. still, well, yeah, I know you did. We'll get we'll get back to that though. We'll need to revitalize it. We'll start we can make it a sponsor. Um <laughs> and finally, Jamie, what is Callum treating us? What was the word again? Oh, this week. Toothpaste tastes nice, but you never get the urge to swallow it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, why is that? <laughs> It's so true. It is very true. <laughs> it's it's got to be something to do with the or something, surely. It does taste lush, though. <laughs> There's got to be someone there that's like, no, oh, grab me some Colgate. There's got to be someone out there that does it. There's got to be. You can guarantee it's some weird, weird little teenager that's just gone, I fucking love this stuff. 
embarrassed the cost of living crisis, but still. Um, <laughs> it keeps me nourished and it's minty fresh. So what did you have for dinner? Oh, I had, I had pie and chips. It was lovely. What about you, Darren? Oh, I had a kebab. Fucking lovely. What about you, Joe? I had Aquafresh. <laughs> you had what? Sorry? I had Aquafresh. I got one of them fancy ones where you just press the button on the top and it poured straight in. <laughs> black, black whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> will they taste that shit will they fucking taste it I tell they no I, he's right though it, it can't beat a bit of a tough pace but I can't imagine ever just nomming a bit <laughs> yeah it's not the dumb thing is it it's, is it weird part of me is like I want to go get some and see what it's actually like just to eat a bit <laughs> yes yeah, a bit odd yeah I'll it's be a little bit odd I bet Callum's done it that's probably why he's been on about that's it probably why he's thought about it yeah why does nobody actually want to just eat this? Like, oh, oh, minty fresh breath though. Incredible, absolutely incredible. Oh, Another really strong me. week. Another I, strong ass week of treatments. And for people, uh, people obviously aren't going to see this bit, but when Callum sends us these treatments, we there's obviously it's a little video. There's a screen cap on it. He looked angry as fuck for the video for that treat. I was expecting something really like insane and angry and really like full of vitriol and said it was like why does no one eat toothpaste <laughs> not where it's all that going whatsoever it's just not the done thing Jamie it's just not the done thing yeah. and now I've got to follow this you do indeed it's time for Tom's journal all right to me baby and welcome to another edition of Tom's journal I thought you were coming like you dirty little bitch. Like that, <laughs> Read to me, you dirty little bitch. Oh, you dirty little fuck. Yeah. Oh, let me see you turn those pages. <laughs> right. Myself on me, anyway. Let me uh let me get to the journal. Where is it? Okay, so Jamie, imagine this. So Dracula is giving his son the talk. Okay? Fucking hell. Dracula. So you see, son. When two monsters love each other very much, they, Dracula's son, do they do the mash? Dracula, <laughs> nodding, they do the monster mash. <laughs> I don't know where I saw this go, but it wasn't there. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I liked that very much. I'm glad you enjoyed, sir. I'm glad oh, you enjoyed. Um. So there was a really special episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire way back in the day that Freddie Mercury was on. Um, the question was, I want dot, dot, dot. And these were his four answers. A, to break free. B, to ride my bicycle. C, it all. Or D, to make a supersonic man out of you. He wants a lot, doesn't he, old Freddie? It does. I mean, he really does. a lot of things, yeah. I think a supersonic really, man out of you from that one. Just because it's my favourite I, I, I think it was it all, but I wasn't entirely sure to be honest with you. I think I had to ask the audience. <laughs> Phone a friend. Hello, Brian May. <laughs> I'm a bit stuck here, Brian. <laughs> I would Brian! Ask, I would ask Roger, but he's too busy in being in love with his car. Anyway. So, what she says, I'm fine. But what she means... In The Prisoner of Azkaban, Remus Lupin tells the students that no witch or wizard has ever seen a boggart's true form. But in Order of the Phoenix, 
<laughs> in order of the Phoenix, Mrs. Weasley asked Moody to check if the cabinet upstairs contained a boggart. Reason being that he has a magical eye that can see through walls. That means that the boggart couldn't see him, so it couldn't transform into its worst fear, which means that Mad-Eye Moody is the only wizard that we know of in all of time that knows what a bogger actually looks like, but it's never mentioned by anyone ever again. Ooh. I'm going to blow Becky's mind with that later. Can we send it to you? Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I did not see that turning into a Harry Potter reference. <laughs> There's, there's always one though. I don't think that in every journal there's been a Harry Potter reference like in most of them, if not oh, all yeah. of them. Yeah, which I always find really funny as you have no idea what they mean. Nope. I have no <laughs> idea what the hell I just said. So <laughs> I don't know what a lupin is. I don't know what a boggart is. Nope. Mad I no what idea. now? I don't know. Um this really made me laugh. I was reading this and then like I was like, where's this going? And then I just thought it was fucking hilarious. So enjoy. Wizard, oh no, I've been captured by an evil dragon. Dragon, snorts out flames. Wizard, I suppose you want to ravage me, you filthy brute. Dragon, stares. Wizard, oh, clumsy me, I dropped me wand. Dragon, one of these days, you're going to have to tell your friends we're dating. (laughs) Again, I did not see that coming. <laughs> really fucking made me laugh. Because <laughs> I was really good. Where's this going? And then I was like, oh, that is actually fantastic. By the way, your impression of a dragon, bleh, was fucking brilliant. I didn't know how to snort flame. I was like, uh, I, I can't just open mouth and fire comes out. <laughs> Do you want to hear a conversation between Thor and Captain America? Always. Thor. I heard some of you, I heard some call you the first Avenger. Captain America, yeah? I've been fighting evil since World War II. I am the oldest Avenger. Ha! I am 1,500 years old. Wow, okay, right. But I was fighting for Earth? The Avengers are Earth's mightiest heroes, so I'm still the first Avenger. Thor, remember the frost, frost giant invasion of Earth in the 1200s, followed by the 100-year winter? Captain America. No. Thor. Exactly. You're welcome, Second Avenger. Sincerely, the First Avenger, Thor. Why was that never put into the movies? That's fucking amazing. (laughs) That should have been put in. I like that. I agree. Thor is the First Avenger. As much as Cap is my favourite, Thor is the First Avenger, man. Is is Cap your favourite, then? Yeah, that first Cap film will always be my favourite Marvel movie. Really? Yeah. Wow, you, you do surprise me sometimes, Jamie Westwood. This one is solely for you. Okay. Okay. It's Batman or Star Wars, isn't it? Uh, somebody was talking to their boss at work. My boss told me I looked like I watched Star Trek. And then as I was leaving, she said, may the force be with you. No, wait, no. It's live fast and get fucked up or whatever. And held up the hand, held up the hand salute. So I guess it was a good day at work. Live fast and get fucked or whatever. <laughs> Live fast and get fucked or whatever. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. 
this one reminds me of us. Okay. But this is so bands are like this. It says bands be like, but I feel that we are the same. Okay. Okay. So bands be like, big announcement. We are announcing <laughs> there will be a big announcement sometime after we announce that there's a big announcement. The <laughs> announcement yes. is very big. <laughs> that is definitely us. <laughs> That is 100% us. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Bloody fucking loopy. In 1920, Jamie, we took children out of the coal mines. In 2020, the most popular video game on the market is Minecraft. <laughs> the children yearn for the mines. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather stick the kids in it and let them play Minecraft, to be honest. Oh, there we are then. (laughs) Minecraft's all right. It's not the most annoying of games. I don't Uh, see the point in it whatsoever, but it's not that annoying. I've only got three things left here, Jamie, so I'm going to use all three. All right. And then the the journal is complete, so I've got nothing left. Oh, shit. We finally caught up. We need to wake up. It's taken fucking ages, isn't it? (laughs) Really? I say to inanimate objects that are not working like they usually do, <laughs> stay. I glare at inanimate objects, continually fall over. Thank you. I say exasperately to the inanimate objects when they do finally work right or stay put. Sorry. I say sorry to the table I bumped into. I say to the inanimate object that keeps making noise. Yeah, yeah, I'm coming. I huff at the persistent kitchen timer. I'm so attacked right now. I do all of those. <laughs> Literally all of them I have done all day. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a loser or a legend. Do you remember two journal entries ago, the children yearned for the mines? Yes. Someone has added onto it. Okay. So I found that first bit, and then I found the second part, which was 2030, children return to the mines. <laughs> 2041, they've taken the bridge in the second hall. We have barred the gates, but cannot hold them for long. The ground shakes. Drums. Drums in the deep. We cannot get out. The shadow moves in the dark. We cannot get out. They are coming. The kids are coming. <laughs> They've mastered all their skills from those years at Minecraft and they're taking over. <laughs> Wouldn't fucking surprise me. That thing, when my kids are playing it, the things they come out with, like, forget this stone and a pixel of this stone and I do this and it makes this and I can set fire to shit. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, like Karis's nephew's kid did the same thing to me and I'm like, what? He goes, oh, there's zombies down here. I'm like, what? <laughs> and it's like, I'm going to make a massive hole in it. I'll set fire to this sheep. And then I'm like, what? <laughs> Absolutely mental. Absolutely mental. But I'm going to end on this. Okay? So, I was talking to my dad about Guardians of the Galaxy. And when I mentioned Chris Pratt, my dad sighed and says, oh, I don't know, parents could be so mean if they're in their charter for a fried rodent. And I sat there looking really confused. And he just whispered, Chris Pratt. And now I will never hear anything else again. For fuck's sake. 
<laughs> the man's already under enough controversy at the minute with the weird with the internet. Let's not ruin his name. Well, that was another edition <laughs> of Tom's Journal. Chris Bratt, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that very much. Good. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. I've thought of something a little special for next week, so I'm going to see if I can get that done um, for you with the journal being so empty. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. We may be playing a little game Ooh. next week. We're playing a little game, and I'm very excited about it. Been thinking about it for a while. Um, so if the journal cannot be filled, the game we shall play. So, shall we uh, get on over to that piece of resistance? Oh, we definitely should, because it's a juicy one. Welcome to the Chronicles of Joel McIver. Joel is an author who specialises in writing stories all about bands, mainly of the metal variety. Yes, indeed. 35 books, to be exact, covering topics from extreme metal, Metallica, Rage Against the Machine, you name it. If he knows their life story, he is writing it, and they are superb books indeed. Absolutely. So he's written about individual members of bands with forwards from other bands, and he's also written about bands as a whole. Uh, I do believe there was a story where he did a, an unauthorised one about Rage Against the Machine, which he did actually contact Tom Morello for, who there was like, nah, write what you want. So... That's what happened. <laughs> I love the books fa- on, oh, sorry. sorry, that's right. Books on Metallica. Um, I think it's one of his most famous ones on Metallica, Black Sabbath. And then there's um, his face, is, his name's completely escaped me from Soulfly. Max Cavalera. Oh, Max Cavalera, thank you. Uh, there's books on Max Cavalera uh, and guys from Deep Purple. And some just, if, you, if you've listened about it, he probably knows them all. Yeah, pretty much. I love the fact as well, he's not only just written books about people, he's also written books with people. He's worked with artists to write their official autobiographies. You know, he's heard their stories from them firsthand and helped them write their stories, get their stories out there to the world. And it's amazing. You know, that that takes a lot of trust to put into someone to tell your life story. It shows the amount of talent this man has. It's absolutely incredible. This is a really good interview. It, it, It is. On a Sunday afternoon, or just chilling, and uh, chatting all things rock and metal. It was great. Um, Jamie seems to be somewhat bitter about the original interview being moved due to the fact that he went to a Roy James Dio night uh, and couldn't believe that he ditched us for that, uh, which I think is... I mean, who? I, it's Dio all day, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not even into like classic metal rock or, rock or anything, but I would go to a Dio night over recording with you. I mean, so would I, but still, have you met us? We're amazing. Come on. No, I don't blame him. When he sent that email saying, I'm going to have to move it. I've been invited to Ronnie James Dio night. People like Tony Iommi and one are going to be there. I was like, I can't really begrudge that, can you? Like, Not really. No, no. So that's probably no. one of the best reasons we've ever had to move an interview. But guys, you're in for an absolute treat. Joel is a legend. He's funny as hell. Uh, and he's very forthcoming with some absolutely amazing stories. So we really hope you enjoy this one. Yeah, and there's a fascinating conversation all about the media, future of media, and if, yeah, this is this is fucking wonderful. Enjoy this one, people. Jamie, yes, sir. Are there any final words at all? Just a massive thank you to our wonderful guest, Joel. This is an incredible conversation, and a massive thank you to your old childhood friend Sue that recommended you to us as well. What a great bump into a bloodstock that was! But you'll find out more about that in here. 
Absolutely, Joel. Thank you for taking the time out, my friend, to chat to us. We really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. So much fun was had. And we can't wait to release this to the entire world in about 15 seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, interviewing this week, it's Joel McIver. I can indeed. Great. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Thank you for coming on oh. and doing it. Yeah. Not at all. Very cool. exciting. I had a look at your channel. You've got some great stuff on there. Oh, thank you oh. very much, man. Oh, stop it, Joel. Just I know. Right. Sorry. You just did one with my mate Dan Carter a while ago, didn't you? He's a good guy. He's a hell of a career. Yeah, that, that was great. That was. We literally saw him walking past us at Bloodstock, and Tom there just ran at him and going, Can we talk to you for a bit? I, I, mean, I wouldn't really say I ran at him. He, he thought I was going to take his food him. off him to begin to. He was like, oh, I thought you want my food. It's like, no, you're a vegan. I don't want that shit. <laughs> um, no, he's a good guy, no, Dan. Yeah, he's really... We're trying to get him on properly like this sort of this sort of thing. So, um, But I think Ooh. he's in the States at the moment. But still, anyway, that's besides the point. I like the, the choice of background you've got there, Joel. With the, just to let you know, I've, I've got some guitars here too. And a uh, big Metallica sign. <laughs> Yeah, that black sign is actually um, uh, a bit of original promo really, uh, material that they put out with the Black Album in 1991. A friend of mine no was um, working at, yeah, a friend of mine was working at Warner's and had all this stuff left over. Um, so somewhere there's a full-sized Hetfield somewhere in the house, uh, <laughs> which, I, <laughs> which I haven't got room. I should probably sell the stuff, you know, make a bit of money sometime. But um, And the other funny thing, talking about Bloodstock, is... Um, about four years ago, for some reason, um, Hobgoblin, the beer brand, yeah, approached yeah. me and said, uh, we'd like to have people like you on a big poster at Bloodstock, um, just talking about what you do and holding a bottle of our beer. And I went, okay, fine. So they turned out, they did a film, which you can see on YouTube with me talking about my life. And um, they sent me over like a shit ton of Hobgoblin beer. And then at Bloodstock, uh, there, there was like a, massive screen with me talking like i'm now and um a, a poster made of pvc so it's really heavy really massive like about 30 feet long of me just going you know with the, with the hobgoblin um logo and they gave it to me afterwards and i've got it in my shed because there's no room for it even rolled up it's like a massive carpet so and then that was it that was and then they went away again so that was completely bizarre so for one episode of bloodstock you had me talking to the crowd on a massive screen with posters over i still don't really know why but it was very nice that's amazing amazing <laughs> things that happen i just felt you got rolled up thinking like i have no idea what to do with it but there's no way in hell am i getting rid of this <laughs> i mean i i'd love to hang it somewhere but i don't have a room that's like 20 meters long <laughs> Just have the, the thought that we said you've got the james hatfield thing like go for a piss go oh james sorry didn't realize you're in oh it's not real. <laughs> well, especially because he's standing in kind of like a macho position, you know, like a almost like a standing at the urinal <laughs> position. <laughs> that is phenomenal. Love it. So, Joe, the premise is obviously is that we're going to absolutely destroy you and bombard you with questions. But first and foremost, Jamie's going to lure you into a really nice false sense of security with his introduction. How does that sound? Lovely. Go ahead. Beautiful. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, today we bring you another wonderful guest. As everyone knows, this show is all about our guests telling their story. And today is no different, but this week's guest has dedicated his life to telling 
other people's stories with incredible biographies and memoirs. Today's guest has written all about people like Metallica, Rob Zombie and even Ice Cube. A man who had the audacity to choose Ronnie James Dio over us. Can you believe it? Welcome to the Chronicles of Joel McIver. Hello there. Thanks very much for having me on, chaps. Thank you very much for being here, sir. I can't believe that you still haven't got over that Dio thing, Jamie. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, all right? (laughs) I'll tell you what. You get a chance to see it, you should. It is really good. I've Um, I've heard, yeah. It was a sort of star-studded event uh, in London. Um, I was standing having a drink with a mate of mine who runs a radio show, and um, this bloke walked down the stairs with sort of, you know, generous hair at the back, all dark, nice moustache. And I thought, that's either Tony Iommi or someone who really, really looks like him. And I said to my mate, who was like suddenly going, oh, fuck, it's Iommi. And of course it wasn't. And uh, I had a nice chat with Wendy Dio and told her how fantastic I thought her husband had been uh, when I met him. And uh, all the usual lot were there. Thunder were there. Had a nice chat with them. That was very good. So sorry to blow out our, our original appointment, but... Um, <laughs> You you were edged out, edged out only a little bit, only a little bit. <laughs> Not at all. It just made me laugh when he sent that email. I was like, as if he's choosing Dio. I'd choose Dio over me, to be fair, but still. <laughs> now, before we t- get into this, I've got to say, this whole thing came about thanks to a lovely lady we met at Bloodstock. We were just standing there talking. She went, I know someone you should speak to. And that lady's name was Sue Rawlins, who I think she said she's known you since she was a kid. So yeah that's amazing yes like we went to school together and apart from the odd contact on um facebook i, I don't think we've really spoken since then so she was at bloodstock she that's was at bloodstock, like amazing yeah. to me we were, t- yeah. we were talking I, d- to I think we, we haven't met in uh well how old am i now i don't think it, i think we haven't met in like 45 35 years but um there you go. sue if you're listening thank you very much for recommending me to these fine gentlemen that's great yeah. <sighs> We were standing there having a chat. She was like, "What? Who sort of people do you talk to?" And she's like, oh, "I know someone you should talk to." So I was like, "That's amazing. What, That's I'm great. Reaching out. That's great. That's incredible." And there how was go. Bloodstock? Oh, phenomenal! It was great. It was hot for a ginger, but <laughs> nine days. It was. Yeah, I mean, I and, think I was and if you're, the I think... if you're an amply oh. nourished gentleman like me, the heat is not good either. I'll tell you. <laughs> But uh, uh, I, I wasn't at Bloodstock this year because we were away, but last year's was amazing. Really, really enjoyed it. It's a great show. It's great. I mean, it's the first one I've ever been to, and it just had a real good family feel about it. There was no trouble. There was no problems. It was just great. Other than, the, like I said, the massive dome of just warmth. It was uh, absolutely <laughs> wonderful. But then I think as Brits, we complained no matter what the weather was. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that um, Woodstock 99 documentary? Yeah. No, not yet. Right. If you haven't, then it's relevant because um, what they talk about is how, while Bloodstock, you were just talking about, is at least in a grassy field, right? (laughs) Woodstock 99 was in an old airbase that was all concrete and they had ridiculous heat. So they were literally lying on the tarmac on the runway of this old airbase while listening to Limp Bizkit and whatever. And it must have been hell on earth. So make sure you watch it. It'll make your hot day at Bloodstock look like a... Frozen Swedish festival or something. <laughs> yeah. I made Fantastic. the mistake of watching that just before going to Bloodstock. I was like, oh no, oh no, not a festival. <laughs> so awful. So awful. Yeah. It amazes um, me that I've never heard of anything about Woodstock 99 before, but there we go. Been to watch that. How old were you? How old were you, chaps, in 1999? Oh God, how old would I have been in 99? I was 12, so you'd have been 13, Jack. I would have been 13, yeah. I was 28. 
So old enough to know better. But fortunately, <laughs> I didn't go. <laughs> um, Joel, just just a real hard-hitting question just to begin with before we get really in, into it all. How was your pandemic season? I know it's not really like over, but obviously the 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 hard the harsh reality is all pretty much gone. You mean the entire like two and a half year period? Yeah, like well, yeah, when it was everything was locked down, when you couldn't do anything, etc. To be honest with you, although I did have a, a mild dose of COVID, um, I it, I've been working from home for like seventeen years anyway, um, so nothing really changed for me. In fact. Business was quite good, you know, like a few people that I know and that, you know, well-known people wanted to do books because they weren't touring. So I got that done. Um, it was all right. I mean, obviously it was surreal as hell and uh, awful in so many ways. But for me personally, it was okay. Fingers, uh, touch wood. It was okay. Good, good, good. Please. No, thank you for that. asking. No, not at all. Always. That's all it's kind. We, we look out for each other in this community. Oh, 100%. We love to hear people say, you know what, it was all right, I cracked on, because all you hear is doom and gloom stories about it. It's nice to hear, like, positive stories about it, as weird as it sounds. Well, I don't want to say it was it was, it was was all uh, happy and positive, because so many people died. But well, at the I same time, uh, for, you know, I, I soldiered through. I was very lucky. I was, I was, I was already set up in a, in a place where I could just work independently from home. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not in the kind of job where I have to go to meetings or hit sale targets and all that shit. So, um, no, I, I was very lucky. Thank you for asking. Wonderful. That's welcome, sir. So, Joel, take us back, sir. Let's learn a bit more about you. When you were young master MacGyver, what did you want to be mm. when you grew up? Was it always around literature and writing, or was it a spaceman? No, not really. No. <laughs> when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a cartoonist in a newspaper, you know, and do like those funny little strips, like Andy Cap and whatever. And then I, you know, I don't know why that never happened. And then I thought I might be a musician because I started playing bass and guitar when I was about sixteen. Um, and I only really uh, fell into journalism and writing um, in uh, the late 90s because, um, why was it? What was the reason again? <laughs> why did I do it? Um, I was, I, it was my wife, really. I, I, she used to say, you're quite a good writer. Why don't you do something journalistic? Oh, I'd been a teacher for a little while. That was it. Um, teaching English as a foreign language, which is what you do after university if you don't know what you're going to do with your life, right? And uh, I did that for a few years. Um, and started freelancing a few articles here and there for various magazines. Um, and amusingly, I got my first published piece in Cosmopolitan, which is the sort of uh, woman's fashion mag, you know what I mean? And uh, I don't know if you guys know it or read it regularly. And um, because a good friend of mine was an editor there. And uh, that progressed into but just building more freelance stuff. And then I got a job, the only real job I've ever really had. Uh, on a magazine called Record Collector that you guys might know of, a uh, sort of vinyl uh, specialist magazine. And I was on that mag for six years. And at that point, I started writing books and becoming a journalist for a ton of magazines, and it all went on from there. So that, that's the sort of short answer to how I ended up doing this. No, obviously, when you want to be a cartoonist, though, can you, can you draw? Not bad. Yeah, I, can, <laughs> yeah, I, I could give it a go. I mean, I suppose the reason why I wanted to be a cartoon, I mean, this is literally when I was about six, right? It's not like a recent ambition. Um, drawing little cartoons doesn't require that much skill, I think, um, as opposed to being a fine artist, you know, working in oils and watercolours and all that stuff, which I was definitely not good at. So, no, that was a very short-lived ambition. Um, other than that, I never really had any ambitions to do anything at all in life um, and sort of fell into journalism and then started writing books, and here we are. Fair. 
So you, you obviously have a love for rock and metal and we can see the guitars behind you, you said you used to play back. Would you read, did you ever want to be like a professional musician or was it just a hobby? Yeah, it's an interesting. I mean, I, I have um, been in the music instrument game for many, many years because until recently I was the editor of a magazine called Bass Player. So I, I have paid my bills through being a musician, right? If you like, even though I'm not a gigging musician, I do do shows every now and then, go out with friends and jam and, you know, we do stuff together. And everyone in this family is nauseatingly musical. My daughter's a piano player. My son plays bass and drums. My wife sings. And we're all qualified, you know, out of the arse with these things. Um, so uh, I did actually say to myself the other day, in the Britpop time, right, specifically when I was about, I don't know, your age probably, um, why don't I just go to London and join a band and start playing? And I don't know why. I think because because it would have been dead easy, right? Because uh, I think when I was 16 or so, I started playing gigs every now and then. I was in a, an indie band at school, which had, and I, to this day, I don't know if this name is terrible or not terrible, I don't want you guys to tell me, all right? The name of my band was Just Like Her just like her okay that was the name of the band oh. and i remember clearly people laughing about that and saying how crap it is but nowadays i'm thinking oh, that's actually not that bad a name what do you think it's not that bad a name I, at all. I weirdly like it yeah I, I didn't go like oh but you know i just went oh oh yeah 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 i like it <laughs> and like this was in the uh about 1990 89 to 91 probably and we used to wear chinos doc martin shoes blazers with a tie because that was what you wore back then and we played the sort of jangly indie stuff we sort of fancied ourselves to be a bit like the smiths or one of those indie bands of course we were nowhere near as good as that we were really crap and uh i remember doing logos in my school books just like her like kind of just like you know (laughs) (laughs) so i had i had always been in bands i always jammed in bands playing bass or guitar or singing um and then just stopped at the point when i probably if i was going to make a career out of it like you're asking i probably should have started to do it in my mid early early to mid 20s never did subsequently though i've met a million musicians and and worked on various music magazines so i've always been in the company of people who play professionally um but yeah and i think the moment's probably passed you know <laughs> rehearsal rooms and all that stuff i've been in so many i've been on a few tour buses i don't know if you guys have done that that's a lot of fun um but i don't know if i'd want to do it for like for, for a living you know to be on a tour bus and tour yeah. the world and all that stuff but you know well, there you go i mean it could get like that's chart- your question that's quite a long yeah, rambling that answer good. that's a superb answer good well, i've interrupted you then tom Cameron. It's all right. It's fine. I wasn't sure if you could hear me because it was just, I was just uh, yeah. Anyway, I'll crack on. We can edit that. There's was a fine. moment. We're all three looking at us, looking at each other like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, surely something's going on. Have we hit some sort of, uh, you know, vortex or something? Um, but you were talking about having, like, couldn't you have, like, one last moment in the limelight? Because by the sounds of it, you could have a whole family band do a just like her one Is night it? only charity oh, totally or could. something. Just like her could make a reunion, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, right now, now you've said that, maybe, maybe that can happen. But the thing is, we no, were all I'll like 18, it. 19 then. Now we're all in our 50s. I don't know. So, it's not a good look. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Uh, my favourite <laughs> band in the world is... <laughs> my favourite band in the world is Kiss. I would never judge anyone who knows he's getting up on stage and rocking. I've got a million Gene Simmons stories <laughs> if you want to hear them. But I, I don't know whether the world needs them. The world I did the forward, actually, to... Um, Gene's, Gene did the forward to a recent book of mine. I've got to tell you that. Can I tell you that story? Please do. 
So I don't know if you were going to ask me things in chronological order, but one of the one of the so we're jumping forward for that reason. But I did the autobiography of Frank Bello, who's the bass player in Anthrax, right? Hmm. So that came out last year, and Frank is a massive Kiss fan. Um, so when we finished the text, I got a message out to Gene Simmons saying, "Would you like to do the foreword to Frank's book?" And uh, Gene said, "Yeah." And uh, so I sent Frank a message saying, "Guess what? Gene Simmons has said yes to doing the foreword to your book." I don't know if you know Frank from Anthrax, the sweetest guy in the world, total fanboy, and he just went, "Oh, oh, oh my god! Oh my god!" <laughs> so I did this. Um, I've interviewed Gene a bunch of times, and uh, you never really know which Gene Simmons you're going to get because he's he's professionally obnoxious right so his or used to be rather his his whole persona that he presented to the press was always quite combative um and because the the we would ask questions that fucked with you him and he would fuck with you back and it, it was quite a kind of ball busting situation it was quite um it was quite fun but it was definitely quite confrontational right um now this time when i interviewed gene for the foreword of frank bellow's book it was a couple of days after eddie van halen had died and Gene was in this incredibly contemplative mood, quite melancholy, actually, which I've never seen. And I've interviewed him like five times. And um, because Frank Bellow's autobiography deals with things like his father being absent when he was a kid and the effects that had on him as an adult, Gene, I told that to Gene, and Gene told me the story. I've never heard it. I don't know if he's ever talked about it. He talked about his father himself being absent when Gene was a kid and how that affected him as he was growing up and how, and how that is so miserable for kids who, who don't have it, who have an absent parent. And we went really deep and he was quite emotional. At the end, I said, Gene, that's amazing. Thank you. And we had this moment and uh, that is the foreword for Frank Bellow's book. And I think it's unique for everything that Gene has done. I haven't ever seen him go as deep as that emotionally. He was quite open. And that's unusual for a bloke like that who's in his 70s and has done 8 billion interviews. Um, so that was an incredible uh, moment there. So... Uh, uh, my career has been peppered with quite a lot of interesting moments like that. I have to say, I've been quite lucky. I don't even think Gene goes that emotional in his own book. <laughs> no, but again, that's not the that's not the purpose of it, right? He doesn't need to do this kind of confessional, you know, uh, emotional kind of opening up to people because that's not who he is. Um, but for whatever reason, the story that I told because he knows Frank from Anthrax, right? They have a friendship going way back, so maybe that was the sort of catalyst for him doing that. Mm. Um, most amazing thing, anyway. Uh, Kiss, great band. I'll be sorry to see him go, but uh, they had a good run. It's safe to say they had a very good run, yeah. <laughs> did a couple of They shows. did all right. Yeah, did a couple of shows. So, speaking, speaking of love for rock and metal music, where did that come from in you? Was it like parents' influence or was it your friends? Just, yeah. Uh, well, it's funny. Uh, I've told the story before and um, uh, it sounds really cheesy. No one ever believes me, but. Um, uh yeah my mum and dad were a little bit into it but not much i remember they had um when i was a kid they had a, there was a Jimi hendrix album there might have been a deep purple album here and there some rock and roll cool stuff um my dad actually was at woodstock but he didn't really talk about it much but that's pretty amazing right and uh so we i didn't me and my brother didn't really have an upbringing in music but we definitely loved it and for me because on the age i am for most of the 80s i was listening to like duran duran and soft cell and uh, depeche mode and all that kind of 80s pop music. I didn't really ever go into the sort of music of the day, the Kiss, the Aerosmith, you know, the sort of fairly heavy stuff, not even Purple and Sabbath and Zeppelin, really. And then one day, and it would have been uh, 88, so quite late on, I was already 17 and 88. A uh, mate of mine across the road, John, played me Master of Puppets uh, by Metallica, and it just like destroyed me. 
I don't, I don't know why I was just ready in my development to listen to some heavy music that was really good and fast and melodic and all the all the good qualities that we associate with that album. And that just, just, just blew my mind and I couldn't listen to anything else for ages. And then I got into Slayer. Uh, so I was like the, the, the thrash metal kid, right? For, from 17, that was all I listened to for ages. And then I got into the death metal stuff and on and on and on. Went back and educated myself about Iron Maiden and Sabbath uh, and Priest and Motorhead and all the stuff I'd missed out on. So by my mid twenties, I was a bit of an encyclopedia of metal, but I still listened to all that other stuff, the pop music I was talking about before. And I still do. I still love the Smiths, you know, and I still love Joy Division and New Order and all the rest of that stuff. Um, as well as going back to the Beatles and the Stones and, you know, Cream and all that stuff. Um, so I had this, I was a big music fan. I, wa I didn't really have rock parents, you know, um, Funny enough, I am a rock parent now, you know, my, my, my kids are really into it, uh, inevitably. But no, and one of the things I'm, I'm quite pleased with, actually, is that um, uh, I didn't have any family connections in the music industry and I didn't have any family connections in publishing either. Uh, so getting into those industries was all my own effort, you know what I mean? I did get a leg up, as I said earlier, um, when a friend of mine who worked for Cosmopolitan, the fashion magazine, uh, got me a gig there, but that was very short-lived. But nonetheless, that, that, that I have to pay credit and say that you know she definitely helped me out there but no other than that it was just listening to metal being like persistent about getting stuff published and finally getting stuff done until i had a book deal and i worked at record collector and on we went and here we are and i've done 35 books now it's incredible absolutely amazing it's incredible but i mean you think about it. It. yeah 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 I'm not surprised. It must take some serious concentration as well to have to write all that out and everything else and make sure everything's correct and factually correct and chronological order and time stamped and God knows what else. Yeah, you say it like that, it sounds awful. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's fun, right? It's a, it's not like, you know, some people have to go to work and sell double glazing over the phone from nine to five. So compared to that, it's dead oh, easy. Yeah. To have a career where all you have to do is write about something that you love is not difficult by any means. Um, so yeah, it's work, but it's fun work. So it doesn't feel like Good. work. Which is fantastic. And you went to the university in the greatest city of all. I really did. You are talking uh, about Edinburgh. Yes, you are. I am talking about Edinburgh. Yes, I am talking <laughs> about Edinburgh. Um, I know I don't sound it, but I'm definitely Scot I'm from Scotland. So uh, mm. anything to do with that place, I'm just like, yeah, fantastic, phenomenal, best country in the world. So, you know, and I won't hear another word against it. <laughs> <laughs> Great time there. I, I mean, weirdly, uh, I did a degree in German for no reason other than I was good at German at school and um, really? never did anything with it. I know, I know, right? It's so irrelevant, you know, and well, I've forgotten well, most of it. Now. Not really, because if Rammstein want a book, it's sorted. Or the Scorpions. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I think it's come in handy about three times in my life. <laughs> When someone said, what's this mean? <laughs> or like, you know, oh, we're stuck somewhere in Berlin and I don't know. But um, yeah, so that, that, I, I did a degree that was completely irrelevant to my future career, but that's, it was free back then, right? You didn't have to pay for it. Oh, those are the days though. <laughs> so you've said you got started working in Cosmopolitan and that sort of stuff, but you published your first book in 1999. Um, what was it made you go, do you know what, actually... No, not writing articles. I want to write a book. Yeah, well, that actually, no, that's a good point. So I was working at Record Collect magazine. Great place. Uh, the editor at the time was called Andy Davis, and I've got to give him credit for this. Andy said, look, a lot of people who come and work here at Record Collect go on to do books, right? You know, get book deals because, and the reason why that is, is that if you're employed on a magazine that you're taken seriously, publishers will, will take you seriously as a, as a potential writer. So I wrote off to Omnibus Press, 
which is a cool publisher in London that I've done, I don't know, 14 books for now. And um, they were into the idea of an extreme metal encyclopedia. So extreme metal as defined by me at the time as death metal, thrash metal, black metal and doom metal, like an A to Z, you know, dead easy, bit of journalism, knock it out. And um, and I, I was really, really keen on the idea of writing a book, I have to say, I would have done it for free. Uh, they gave me a decent advance actually, which was quite good for a first book. But um, and they wanted this book and it came out. I don't have one in here, although I'd show it to you, but um, it's a bit like a graphic novel, the way it's laid out. It looks really cool. It's not that good a book because I was a rookie and there's a, there's a load of shit jokes and that really aren't very funny. And um, it's also not it's also not that accurate either. Um, there's a there's a bunch of facts, not that many. There's a couple of factual errors in there. Um, but it's as first books go, I don't look back and, on it and cringe too much. Um, uh, do you know the Canadian author, Martin Popoff? No. check him out he's, he's like me he's done a million books on metal and um he he always cringes at his first book which is called um riff bites man and uh i've read it and i think it's all right but he just thinks it's terrible and he gets really embarrassed you should get him on this he's a he's a great guy really really nice. he's dwarf I, i'm what my, i'm like he dwarfs me or i dwarf him he's way bigger than me when it comes to the stuff that he's done he's been writing longer than me and all this um but uh, he cringes at his first book. I, I don't particularly think my first one is great, but that's nah, all right. It looked nice. I remember very clearly the day it arrived, I phoned my wife and said, is it here? Is it here? And she said, oh, my God, it looks really great. And uh, it does look quite nice. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's worth any literary prizes. At the end of the day, though, you did it. You you wanted to write a book, and you did it. So even if it well was dread, even if it was <laughs> dreadful, you did it. You, you know, <laughs> that's all that matters. Yeah, and it opened the doors actually because it sold quite well. So the whole point in this game, if you want to have a career, is to have a sort of domino effect when the first book does well, so you get your second deal, and then you get your third one, and on and on and on. And um, that has been the case because that came out in two thousand, so that's twenty two years now, and counting, and thirty five books. So yeah, I was really happy with it. So the forward to that book was written by Jeff Dunn from Venom. Is that right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So how did that happen? Was that the publisher going, we're going to get us? Did you know Jeff through your work at Record Collector? That's exactly it. I had interviewed him for a piece in that magazine. Um, and so I called him up and said, would you like to do this? And he was like, oh, yeah, of course I'd love to relate. And uh, <laughs> so that got done. And then a sequel came out. Extreme Metal came out five years later. And Miller from Creator did the um, forward, who I'd also got to know. So basically, you sort of... <laughs> If your career as a journalist as a, and as an author is successful in a particular field of music, you can't like spread your tentacles really fast, you know what I mean? And you get to know everybody really quickly. And it's and that was before the internet, or before not before the internet, but before um, social media. So it's way easier now. I've seen rookie writers suddenly they know five hundred people in the industry because of Facebook and all the rest of it. Whereas back then it wasn't quite as easy, but uh, you know you actually had to pick up the phone, pay four p a minute to use it. God, it got them. <laughs> um, so with 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 your writing and stuff like that, like when you you've written uh, books with like Metallica, Rage Against the Machine, Queens of Stone, etc. Do you have to physically spend time with these people to know their story, or do they go, "Here's can you write about this? Here's the here's the information." Um, quickest way to answer that, I think, is to define what these books are. Right. So first of all, you can write your own story about Metallica, right? You can write a book about Metallica like I did. It was unauthorized, unapproved by the band. 
I had spoken to them a bunch of times for various journalistic pieces, but I didn't inter interview them for the book, nor did I tell them that the book was coming. But I did interview hundreds of people who were friends with them, right? And it's a good book, actually. It turned out really, really well. That was my fifth book, I think. Uh, it's called Justice for All, Truth for Metallica, which is a really sort of cheesy, combative title, but that was how I felt at the time. <laughs> I would never call it that now. That book was all about slagging off um, Load and Reload and the arms that I hated and actually defending them about the Napster thing, which I'm quite proud of because that's been vindicated in recent years. Um, uh, where was I going with that? Right, so you can do that, right? You can do your own book that is unauthorized and it's a, it doesn't mean it's bad, it just means it's not authorized. You can do an authorized book and that doesn't mean it's good, right? Uh, conversely, you can get to get in touch with the band and say, why don't we do um, uh, your official book, right? Which I've also done like 15 of. Um, and what happens then is that they say, yeah, great. And you agree like a rev the revenue splits and you agree confidentiality and you put together a little legal document that, that everyone's happy with. And then typically, um, recent example is Frank Bello, who I mentioned before. I think I spent about 24, 25 hours on like this on Zoom with him, interviewing him about his life. I turn it into a book. It's written in the first person as if by him. And he then authorizes it and approves it and it's done. And it's his book written with me as his co-writer. That's how it's mm. that's how it's presented. Yeah, yeah. I actually wrote it, but it, you know, I'm the co-writer. Um, so there's two ways of doing it, right? So I think what you were saying is do you have to spend time with these people? So clearly you do if it's someone's memoir, if they're autobiography, it's all about being with them. If conversely, you're doing just a, the story of a band, like I did with Rage Against the Machine, although I'll come to that in a sec. Um, no, you don't have to. You probably should for journalistic integrity, you know, oh, so you yeah. actually spend some time with these people. So, so you have some authority and you speak from a position of expertise. But if you don't, if you happen to know every single thing about a band, you don't necessarily have to be with them. It's just it's it's common sense to do so. Uh, the reason why I said we come back to Wage Against the Machine is that's a, that's a sort of hybrid version. Uh, I got in touch with Tom Morello. I can't remember how. And I said, I'm doing a book about Rage Against the Machine. I've been offered a contract to do so. Um, I can just go ahead and write it and say what I think about Rage Against the Machine. Or if you want, we can make it the official Rage Against the Machine book. How cool would that be, right? And I you know, laid out a pitch to him. And he kept, bless his heart, he came back to me straight away and said, thanks for this, Joel. Um, much as I would love there to be an official Rage Against the Machine book, all of us would have to agree to do it. And he let, kind of left it at that, right? So the implication being, the implication was that not everybody in the band wanted to do that, yeah. which is fine, you know, whatever. And he said, um, uh, but you, of course, are free to go ahead and do that, right? So he essentially gave me his blessing to write the book, which was a, which was good of him, um, because he wasn't going to earn anything financially from it. There was no real benefit for him to let to, to give me his permission to do so, or his blessing. But he did, and in fact, I replicated that email in the book. Um, so that was a kind of a middle situation, you know what I mean, where the band are sort of they're not really involved, but at the same time they're aware of it. You know that can happen too. Um, so I hope that answers your question. You, you, you usually do spend some time with these people, but you, you could get away with it by not doing so, which is why you can, which is why I can write a book about Randy Rhodes, right? Who died when I was 10. Mm. Clearly I didn't spend any time with him, but I can write a authoritative <laughs> book about him because I am a journalist and I can do the research and bring all the context in and get the first generation uh, research done. Same with Cliff Burton, who I also did a book about. I was only 15 when he died, so I know him. Um, but through diligent research into the people he was with and the things he did and my own expertise on the subject, I can write a decent book about it. So, so that's awesome. Obviously, you're saying how you covered all these different people, different topics and whatnot. Is this always your decision, what you're going to write about? Or a publisher's coming to you and going, we would like a book about, to say, Rage Against Machines, we just were, we'd like you to write it. 
Uh, that can happen. Um, yes, a publisher will come to me and say, we want this book done. Here's a sum of money. Would you like to do it? Uh, conversely, a musician will come to me and say, we want to do a book. Are you interested? And I might say yes, or I might say no. Frequently I say no. Bless their hearts, but a lot of people who aren't very well known want to do a book. And while the book would be great, there wouldn't be much money in it. So it's not really worth spending two years on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or the manager, on the other hand, might come to you and say, one of my bands uh, wants to do a book. Are you up for it? Or a literary agent, who is the person who puts together the deal with the publisher, might recruit me to do so. So it works in like four different ways. Or, or I can say to whoever it is, should we do a book? How about it? It, it can go in all sorts of different directions, if you see what I mean. Um, it's just everyone has to be, everyone has to want to do the same thing. And then if everyone's up for it, it gets done. There you go. I was just wondering, because I noticed when I was going through your bibliography, I love that word, bibliography. Um, Great word. It's like Ice Cube and Erkia Badu. I'd never heard that name before in my life. And they're, they're obviously, they're very outside of the world of rock and metal. I was wondering, so like, is that you going, I fancy trying something different. Let's try Ice Cube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. My <laughs> recent book was the, was the autobiography of Right Said Fred as well. Do you know who that is? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> name one of their songs. Well, we all know the obvious one, but other than that, I don't know any of more than the obvious one, to be honest with you. <laughs> so that's an example of me stepping away from the rock and metal thing. Yes. So, um, Ice Cube. I really wanted to do a book about um, his films. Really, I used to. I, I love those stupid films they did back in the day, um, and I was keen on his arms as well. I'm not a massive hip hop fan. I probably stopped listening in about 1995, um, but. Yes, the short answer is yeah, I want to do something different. Erica Badu is a soul singer, the most amazing voice. Um, and then uh, I've also did, what did I do? I did a book with John Mayall, who was a blues singer, right, in his 80s. He had Eric Clapton in his band and, you know, all the rest. You can check all this stuff out in the 60s. And I did a book with one of David Bowie's musicians as well, the drummer Woody Woodmansey. So it's not all been grisly death metal. Um, <laughs> You know, it is a bit odd, I know, because I did like Cannibal Corpse's official book and and I did the autobiography of David Vincent from Morbid Angel. So there's all sorts of really, really grisly stuff in there. And then next to it, Erica Badu and Wright said Fred and Ice Cube does look a bit odd. I totally get that. Um, so, yeah, I spend a bit of time explaining that stuff. But essentially, I think we, we should all like a wide range of music, right? I mean, you know, why deny yourself something? I'd love to do a bit of writing about a classical composer, for example. Um, and it doesn't just have to be music as well. I'm happy to do films and politics and all sorts and sports, interesting stuff like that. It's just happened. It happens to have been music so far, and it happens to have been mostly heavy music as well. How do you decide what you're going to write about? Is there like a process or is it a case of you listening to Metallica one day and thought, fuck it, I'm going to write a book about this? On the case of Metallica, so when I became, when I had my first book out, Extreme Metal, and it did well, and they said, well, what else do you want to do? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, I wanted to do a book about Metallica. I wanted to do a book about Slayer. And I wanted to do a book about Cliff Burton. And I would have stopped there because those are my those were the three things I was really really passionate about. Oh, not not the only thing I was passionate about. They were the things I was most passionate about. Um, and they got done fairly quickly, actually, by about 2011, I think. And um, but then the, the train had got rolling, right? So publishers publishers were coming at me saying, "Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this?" And it's oh, it's a really exciting process. I, I should make this clear. It's the best job in the world doing these things. There is a moment when a book lands on your your doormat for the first time and it, you feel like you've created a little bit of history. Mm. And the fact is, is that in hundreds of years when I'm dust and all the people I've worked with are dust, 
people will still be reading these things. If they don't read the physical book, they'll be reading the digital one without a doubt. And in a sense, what I'm doing, along with the many other great writers who are in this industry, is committing our culture to posterity for future historians, right? And that's, that's wow. I know it's fun and it's entertaining and it's a laugh and it pays the bills, but it also has that higher function, which is that we are informing future people about what went on now in a way that I think has value. You know, if I can teach some kid in 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 the year twenty one twenty that listening to Rain and Blood by Slayer is a good thing to do, that's that's only good, right? Um, so uh, that all ties in with your question, which was that how do I decide how do I decide whether to do or how to do a book? If it's fun and interesting, if the deal is right, um, because I've, I've, I've only got a finite amount of time, I do loads of other editing stuff as well, um, and I you know I like to have a social life, and I've got kids, you know, so I haven't got infinite time just to write books. Um, so a book project has to be interesting and it has to be a worthwhile deal and it has to be with someone who's not a dick, ideally. And, um, you know, someone without, you know, who's not obnoxious. Um, and who's got an interesting story to tell. A lot of people, including me, don't really have an interesting story to tell, you know? Um, you know, yeah, I've met some cool people, done some cool stuff, but I, I don't think I would, I would want to read like a 500 page autobiography about me, of me. Um, but fortunately, the music industry and other industries, creative industries, are full of interesting people. So there's lots of opportunities, lots of cool ideas floating around. I just wish I could clone myself. <laughs> would be helpful, yeah, wouldn't it? You get a lot of like wags and stuff now that want books and stuff. You're like, really? But you're just married to a footballer who's been around for like a year or two, and all of a sudden got good. Like, I don't. Well, this is I a... don't agree. Sorry. Oh, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say. This is a common complaint among authors, right? That the publishing industry is very hard to get in, to get deals in, because, for example, at Christmas, ninety percent of all books released are footballers, um, comedians, chefs, um, <laughs> and just pond life. You know, celebrities on Strictly, and you know, <laughs> just you know, awful people and and but but who doesn't you know who doesn't want to read a story by david beckham when he says this is my story or whatever it is you know so i understand why these books get published publishers have to make a living um but that makes it difficult for people who are writing about maybe slightly esoteric subjects like me and, and people like me but there you go I, you know i chose to do this yeah. <laughs> I, get, I get what you mean because I used to work in a bookshop and the amount of times we get books and i'd be like why has someone written about this of all things right? <laughs> yeah yeah, it's complex. In order for a book to get done, like, it's miraculous that anything gets done. Because first of all, the publisher has to sit around. The publisher wants to make money, right? They're not doing it for fun. They want to make money. So their salespeople will talk to a load of bookstores and Amazon now and say, will you distribute this book? Will you have it in your store or will you, will you run it at Amazon? Um, once that answer is yes, and everyone's happy at that end with how much money they're going to make, then they can make you, the author, a deal. Um, an offer rather and then so and then uh all the specifics and the deadlines and all that stuff has to be agreed there's like a million moving parts um so how any books get done is miraculous believe me if you could see behind the scenes but they somehow do it's not but you know there's a lot as you said there's a lot of moving parts a lot of different processes that goes into these things but what's what's your process when it comes before you even put pen to paper do you have like a, a process in regards to research and gathering your stories etc or is is it different depending on the book there's a bit of a formula 
Um, it does vary from book to book, yeah. Um, but by and large, um, the deal has to be in place with the publisher and a deadline. I don't like to start work on a book until the deal is signed and a deadline is set and it's in the diary and the advance is in the bank. Um, because then you're in a situation where you write a book and you're trying to shop it around for publishers, um, which I've never done actually, but it must be awful <laughs> because you spend a year writing something and then you're desperately trying to get people to publish it. And I would never want to be in that situation. Right? Um, yeah. So then I, I'm very much, um, diary driven. So I, I need to plan out my time and I need to know what I'm doing. What, even, even if my deadline's two years from now, I'll, I'll block out that time in order to do it. I like to have lots of time to do stuff. I don't want to be rushed. I've been in situations where deadlines have been on me before and I didn't manage my time well. I did a book about Black Sabbath in 2005 that was massive. I think it was 175,000 words. And um, like a regular book, I haven't got one nearby, but a regular book that you might have might be like 60 or 70,000 words. This thing's massive, right? And um, I think I did most of it in like three months before deadline and that's with a full-time job as well. And like, it nearly killed me. And I think it turned out all right, fortunately, but I don't want to be in that situation again. And that's just time management. So um, I like to have my diary. Um, I like to have everything in my diary. And then when that's done, then you do your research, you double, double check, you do as much first generation, re generation research as you can. And by that, I mean, you dig up information that is not available anywhere else. Because the big question nowadays is, why would you write a book if someone could just get that information off the internet in about five seconds, right? Why would they spend 20 quid on a book and two weeks reading it if, they, if the information is readily there? So as a journalist and as an author, my professional duty to those people is to, do, is to give them something that can't be read elsewhere. So in order to do that, that requires a ton of research. And in order to do that, you need the research skills that I developed over 20 years of being a journalist. So all this shit takes loads of time um, and energy. Um, but it gets done and then you hand it in, you do 5 million checks. There's all the legal stuff you have to check. So you have to make sure no one's going to sue you. So you get the people that you mention in the book to sign off on the content. So um, in the case of Frank Bellow's book, we got the rest of Anthrax to sign off on anything that anywhere they were mentioned. And that was just a courtesy thing, really. They're good friends. He didn't say anything negative about them. It's just a polite, journalistically professional thing to do. Mm. Um, and then when that shit is done, book is ready for submission to the publisher who then manufactures the thing and off you go and you're doing picture captions and doing an index and then it's done and then you can do press and then it hopefully it gets adapted into a film starring brad pitt and you retire yeah. <laughs> <laughs> brad pitt playing you right well i mean it is that why would you even ask I me mean, so obvious um, <laughs> brad pitt probably wouldn't be brad pitt would it Brian Blessed, I don't know. Blessed. So, when when doing your research for these these bands, have you ever found something when doing your and you just like fuck me? I had no idea that happened. The sort of thing that you just like, whoa, I had no idea. That's what you want. Your own mind. Yeah, totally. That's what you want, right? You want to populate these books, like I just said, with stuff that no one's heard before. So, yeah, constantly like the, the amazing facts that pop up and you go what the f and hopefully it's nothing that makes you go oh that's bad no one, <laughs> no one needs to hear that <laughs> and there are always those stories right that have to come out so like i've got 150 stories where rockstar x did something horrible to person y mm. and 
if everyone knew about it, that would be the end of about 10 people's careers and we'd all be in prison. <laughs> so those stories have to stay off the record. Um, and what usually happens is that um, the people who know those things, and these are, these are not major secrets, basically, most most musicians who have toured the world for 30 years have got tales of drug abuse, addiction, or infidelity that they don't want people to know about. Um, so those stories tend not to come out until years, years, years and years after the fact. And then they do come out, don't they? And people write sort of tell all stories. Um, and I get to hear all these stories, but I, 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 it's my professional duty not to reveal them to, you know, with the people that I'm working with. Um, so that's the answer to your question. Sometimes you hear great things that you're really pleased to hear. And sometimes you hear, Ooh, <laughs> your wife and kids don't need to hear that. Or, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're the insurance company that thinks you're still clean and sober. Doesn't need to know that. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. all yeah. <laughs> it's all quite sordid. Do you, oh, do you have to sound like a waiver thing when you're interviewed to be like you can't t- you know I'm going to tell you this that but you can't you can't publish this yeah. or publish that? Yeah, we sign a confidentiality yeah. agreement. Actually, what do we call it? I call it a, it's a collaboration agreement, and in that collaboration agreement there is a confidentiality clause, which says that nothing you tell me in the course of these interviews for your book will be revealed publicly without your express approval in writing. And that's a standard thing as a journalist, uh, not just for authors, as a journalist in loads and loads of events, um, you have to sign an NDA non-disclosure agreement for all sorts of reasons. You know, I, I get sent guitars for review and I can't reveal my my findings for until a certain date, you know, stuff like that. It's mundane. But, um, <laughs> you know, in that situation, it's mundane. But in the case yeah. of people's private lives, you know, I mean, families could be split up, you know, it's, you know. No fair. For example. All right, here's an example. <laughs> a well-known band. Oh, can I even say this? A, a well-known band, a bunch of their musicians got COVID. Um, but rather than reveal to everyone they got COVID, they said, oh, we've um, they've left the band. You know what I mean? And that's why they're not touring. And that was a, um, a way to stop the tour that they're on being cancelled completely, right? So that's an example of something that sounds a bit, it's not that exciting a fact, but it's yeah. sort of a a thing that you would never reveal because a whole bunch of people would lose out financially and it, mm. it would just be dreadful. So I have to be trustworthy yeah. in these situations, you know. I imagine your wife and like kids must go mad. You're just like, you would not believe what I've just found out. I've got to tell someone. <laughs> I can't tell, I can't put in the book, but I've got to tell someone what I've just found out. <laughs> well, in all seriousness, no, you have to avoid that kind of gossip. Yeah, you, you, you can't really be telling your, your friends some of these things. And I suppose what I'm really talking about is a lot of famous musicians have, have claimed that they're not doing drugs. And as a result, they're in the bands that they're in because otherwise they get kicked out if they were doing drugs. And so I've heard a few stories, um, people that you know. And um, if I revealed those things, probably I'd get sued. And certainly they would be kicked out of their bands, you know what I mean? So that this is the kind of stuff. It's not really that exciting and it's actually quite sordid. It's not it's not really very rock and roll, is it? Um, but that's that's an example of the sort of thing that that you just have to keep to yourself. Because as a co writer or as a journalist, your professional duty is to do that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you you know, we've been talking about all these people you've written about and all these people you've worked with, especially like we were just saying with Frank Bello helping him write his book. Was there a particular book of yours that 
got your name out there, got you that reputation in order to open these doors for you? Was it just that constant slog of 35 books? Your name is out there. Good question. I think it was probably the Metallica book that I did because that sold really well. I still get quite a big royalty from that every every six months, and that's like 17 years ago. <laughs> um, that did really well. Um, part, partly that was fortuitous because there happened to be no big, big doorstop-sized Metallica book at the time. There's like 10 of them now. Uh, and also the book I did about Cliff Burton, um, because that that was the one where the stars aligned, I think. You want a book to be critically popular and commercially successful, and quite often you can't guarantee on, on those two things, right? You might have one but not the other, or you might have neither. Um, but uh, in that case, the book did really well, and it was very well thought of. Um, so I think once you do a decent journalism job and you pay tribute to someone who's not there, I think people appreciate that, and that, that probably opens some doors for me. Um, but there comes a point when you just attain critical mass. You've done that much that that people know who you are. You know, um, a, a better known example to me is Mick Wall, a good friend of mine who's done way more books than me. He's quite a lot older than me. He's been he's been around way longer than than I have. In fact, you should get him on your on your podcast. Um, he's got stories that make your you know your toes curl. Um, uh, I can't remember why did I mention him. What was the question? Uh, how, how the door got opened for you in order to oh yeah yeah right 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 so um why did i mention mick well i just wanted to mention my friend mick i suppose but um <laughs> we all <laughs> there was a reason i can't remember it but uh yes probably those two books were the ones that opened the doors oh no right because i was talking about att attaining critical mass so the point is after a while your name gets out there mick is very well known so i imagine if if some musician hears that mick ward is writing a book about them uh, it's a great compliment and doors open and publishing deals are thrown out and, and, and I enjoy some of that myself. So there comes a point when your name is out there. Yeah, well, from from what I've read, uh, most prolific hard rock metal author, uh, top rock scribe in the world, Joel. What what a well, that, to have. That was very nice. Of, I know where you got that. It's on Wikipedia, isn't it? And that was it very is, nice yeah. of... Um, <laughs> that was very nice of those, those people to say that. But... Um, but bear in mind that most prolific author does not mean best. It just means you've done the most. So <laughs> much, much as I would have loved it if they said he's the best of rock author, they didn't. So <laughs> bastards. That's their mistake. That's their mistake. Describe <laughs> <laughs> though. I like that word. That's a great word to be called. Great word, right? I should get it on a business card. Yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Joe Scribe McIver. Rather than hack. Hack as it as it comes. <laughs> <laughs> so we've we've touched on the fact you know you worked with people like Frank Bello on his book, but the first time you worked with someone co-writing that was Glenn Hughes. Is that right? Yeah. So, and in fact, we started that in about two thousand and seven. I think didn't come out till like four or five years four or five years later. I'd interviewed him for a magazine called Bass Guitar because he was the bass player in Deep Purple, obviously. And um, that was how we got chatting. And I spoke to his manager and said, how about a book? And we went from there. And uh, it took ages to get a deal for that one, but I was determined to get it done because I wanted to move into co-writing people's autobiographies. That was a deliberate move that I wanted to make um, because I knew there was a massive market for it. That the You remember when um, Motley Crue did their book, The Dirt? Yeah, yeah. That, plus Slash's autobiography, they were they really opened the floodgates for this kind of memoir um dave lee roth had done one a couple of other people had done them in the 80s and 90s but really that was when it all started and i was at the sort of forefront of that so 
it, there was a massive appetite among publishers and the public to read Rockstar's autobiographies. So I wanted to get into that. Glenn was the first one, and then I think it was David Ellison and Megadeth, and then Max Cavalera of Soulfly, and it went on like that. Um, and in fact, that's mostly what I do now. The books that I write are people's autobiographies rather than my own stories about bands. It's good fun. I really enjoy it. I mean, is there like a level of, I don't want to say pressure, but like, oh, what's the word I'm after here? Yeah, I suppose pressure would be the right, you know, people are trusting you to basically tell their story. Is there that pressure there to go like, I need to make sure this is good because this person's name is going on this. This is official. Yeah, but the, but the pressure comes from me. I want to make it good. You know, it's my job to make it good. They've trusted me to to tell their story. Um, so um, it's, you know, an internal pressure, if you like. But after this many books and after this many years, you know, I'm 51 now. You don't want to do stuff half cocked and, you know, have it half as good as it should be. You want to be your best and your most productive. Um, you know, you're in your 50s, <laughs> probably you're plateauing creatively and then, you know, 60 is going to come and then it's down. You know what I mean? So now, now is the time to to do things as well as I can. But like, like I said, you know, these people, it must be an honour at the same time that these people are trusting you to tell their story. Oh, it's a huge privilege. Believe me. Yeah, it's a real compliment. Especially people like Deep Purple and stuff like that. You know that I grew up listening to it. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's huge. Yeah. Believe me, I, I have to pinch myself. You know, I was I was the kid listening to Sepultura in 1998. And then Max Cavalera wants me to do his book. It was nuts. It's amazing. It's, it's a really, really huge compliment and a big, big ego boost. Yeah. <laughs> I could imagine it was a bit of an ego yeah, boost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, in the other room, in the other room, we've got a, a giant bookshelf with all my books on it. Because as well as the 35 British ones, there's about another 100 volumes in different languages as well. So like, it is massive. And it's in the front room. So people come in and say, what's that? And I go, oh, that? <laughs> oh, that? that? Oh. <laughs> So yeah, it's funny. It's, <laughs> that it's, little thing it's, an, going over it's, there. it's a little bit of an ego trip. Yeah. When they get written in different languages, though, do they have to come to you? And be like, can we? We need to write us in Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, etc., etc. Oh yeah, yeah. Need to get the sign up from you, yeah. They're not from me personally, but from the publisher. So they, they, um, a publisher in Italy or whatever will go to the British publisher or American publisher and say, "Can we pay you this much money to do an Italian version?" And the deal will be signed, and I'll get a royalty. Um, from that point oh, yeah it's nice. very nice it's it's money that you don't have to work for so um so not that this is all about money i don't mean something really mercenary but uh, for a living joel isn't it? that is very nice no it's certainly very nice and the royalties as well what you want is for royalties to come in twice a year and for them to pay your bills completely um and i'm not there yet because i have two teenagers to look after at university and you know a, mo a moderately debauched social life and a mortgage but um that's certainly really nice i have to say so when you're saying that about like the royalties for Missy, I was like, you want to pay me extra money for doing no extra work while you translate my book? Sure. It's fine by me, mate. <laughs> yeah. It's not something you complain about. Yeah. No. <laughs> Although so sometimes they fuck it up, actually. Uh, I, I did a book, one of my books, can't remember which one. Uh, I think it was a publisher in Colombia did a version. And I got all these emails from people in Colombia saying, this is shit. Like the, <laughs> the Spanish is all wrong. Like it doesn't make sense. It's like a bunch of notes. And I went, oh my God, I don't speak Spanish, so I don't know. And um, I emailed the publisher and said, what the fuck is this? And he said, oh yeah, I, I think I gave him the wrong version of the Word document or something. Like, oh my God. So I think that's a one-off. I don't know because I haven't asked any Japanese people about the Japanese Cliff Burton book or, 
Romanian people about the Romanian Metallica book. There, there must be 12 or 15 different languages now. Um, but that's not in my control. So can't worry about it. So as I was doing my research, I noticed there were you had a page on Discogs. Um, mm. Well, you've done a lot of work for bands like Motley Crue, Nazareth. And is that like liner notes in albums? Yeah. I mean, I didn't work for the bands. The no, record no. company who was putting that stuff out said, you want to do some liner notes for the, for the you know, the CD um, booklet? Hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, I must have done, I don't know, 50 of them at this point. I've got them all here somewhere. And the, the, the nicest, um, the, the most fun is when you do a massive box set. Like uh, there's one coming out. There's a band called the Alan Parsons Project. You might have heard of, or you might not have done. Yeah. But um, they have an 11 LP box set coming out, um, and it's so beautiful. All heavyweight vinyl. You know, it's just gorgeous. Um, and they 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 ask someone like me to do 10,000 words of history, and it's just a great project you do for a couple of months. Um, and then you get to keep the you get the box set as well, so you get to keep that. That's very nice. It's a bit like I was saying earlier about you know you have these artifacts that people will read for hundreds of years into the future. Or, you know it's the same uh so yeah i do a lot of that as well i'll have to look at that page actually i haven't seen it is there a lot on that discogs page yeah it's like 52 entries on this one like bloody hell so it is about 50 then, yeah. nazareth and motley Cruz. oh yeah i did all that stuff yeah. yeah there's a label called um they're called union square and they are a reissues specialist and i think they're affiliated or part of bmg the major label mm. and they i've done a load of stuff for them so typically in the hard rock field so you're right heap nazareth as you say uh, a load of prog so yes and stuff like that they'll, they'll come and say can you do a thousand words on yes for next week for this much money uh, and it's a nice little gig yeah a lot of people like me like me do that there's there must be a hundred of us doing it so in in the line notes on a cd obviously you're not going to get ten thousand words in there what are you writing is basically just like this is the album this had an impact this is this is great go listen to it <laughs> <laughs> it, it varies it varies so in the case of motley Crue, they were putting out all their albums again this is years ago it must be like about the year 2000 or something mm. um they wanted i think they wanted like 200 words in each booklet the his, the story of the album you know did it have any hits you know it's like in 200 words you can't say much so i think i did all those in one day um <laughs> But then in the case, like I just said, uh, an album box set, you might have to do 10,000 words. So it's a major mm -hmm. bit of journalism involving a million interviews and late night phone calls and stuff. Um, typically, though, they'll say in the case of Uriah Heap's a great example. Mick Box is the best guy in the world. So you phone him up, ask him about the making of Demons and Wizards, um, and he'll tell you a couple of stories and you bang it in. And, and it's just a bit of journalism. It's like writing an article in a magazine. Um, and I've done a lot of those. They're really nice really really good you're creating an artifact again it's it's a, it's a good thing yeah. i love, I love the way you keep saying that creating artifacts because it is you're absolutely right i love i love that way of looking at it you can imagine that way. school couldn't you be let me teach you the story of master of puppets then play stranger things because <laughs> 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 that's what i think okay, um, it all stem from <laughs> i wonder if um i wonder if the producers of stranger things considered any other songs for that slot that would have been oh, that's uh, a good point actually yeah yeah i wonder what the list actually was oh i bet you it would have been i bet you would i bet you would holy diver by dio or someone like that would oh, have been on there. yeah oh, raining blood would have got well well. i bet iron maiden was considered because for that scene that would have been just perfect to have phantom of the opera one of those faster oh. songs it would have been amazing yeah, that's so, great for Metallica. I, I cannot imagine what they paid Metallica to, to do that. It must have been some obscene sum. But it does work really well. It looks great, doesn't it? Oh, really oh it's 
It's one of my favourite scenes in TV, I think, ever. I think just... Oh, it's great. It's really good. Um, but so you've mentioned quite a few times that you used to do editorial work for bass guitar and bass player. Like, how, is this because of your love of bass guitars that you went into that venue, or how did that all come about? Yeah, I mean, I, I was the editor, so I was I was the the, the man at the top. So um, for ten years until last month, when the magazine closed, I was the editor of first bass guitar magazine and then bass player magazine, and this was a part time gig as well as writing books. But it was a major one, right? You know, I was the figurehead. In the yeah. in the base community, that was, those were the, the magazines that you read, and um, uh, I met all of the base players you want to mention. Everybody I've hung out with them all. We had live events, we had awards ceremonies. I went to every gig under the sun, every backstage and tour bus you can think of. Um, and it's a lot of work, but it's fun. Editing a magazine is 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 work without a doubt. Um, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of things have to get done on a daily basis for an issue of a magazine to get put out. Um, but yes, uh, it certainly helped that I, weirdly, you can edit these magazines without actually being an expert on the subject because you buy the expertise in from the writers, right? So I could, for example, if I wanted, be the editor of Caravanners Weekly or Caravanning Monthly, <laughs> whatever it is. And you may laugh, right? You may laugh, but that thing sells tons of copies. Seriously, that sector of the market is massive. And the reason why the sector of the market is massive is that everybody owns a caravan who's over like 60 and they don't read digital magazines on an iPad. You know, yeah. They don't give a fuck about a PDF. They want to read a magazine. <laughs> it's the same with... Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, honestly, when you see how much money these things make, you suddenly go, oh, I could do that. And um, so what you do is... I've, I've never been in a caravan, right? I don't know how they work or what they do. But as the editor of the magazine you're basically commissioning all the experts to write the stuff. What you do is you run the ship. Now, it so happens that I am a bass player, so I, I could and did edit bass guitar magazine and bass player magazine with a degree of competence and expertise. Um, but it wasn't mandatory, you know? I could have been a drummer and done the job, you know? Um, but yeah, so happens that I was... I So happened that I play bass, but really I, t I was given those jobs because I was a writer and became an editor. So I feel like the magazine like industry, like you said, because everything's going so much digital now, is like starting to die off slightly. But that's, that's an understatement. Yeah, that's, that's blown a complete my understatement. Mind, These magazines are going down left, right, and centre. So, bass player magazine. I understand why they did it. I, I I totally get it. You know, the publishers closed it because it's impossible to um, right now in 2022 um, make money out of a physical magazine because the cost of energy which you need to transport the magazine and the cost of paper, which has like tripled in the last couple of years, renders it impossible to do. Our magazine, Bass Player, the content was killer. Sales were good. I don't want anyone thinking that it wasn't selling well because it was selling well. Advertising was good. It's just that it's really, really hard for a publisher to make money out of a physical artifact, especially one that only goes for a fiver. You know what I mean? You can sell a book for 20 quid. You can sell an album box set for a hundred quid, but you can't really make a lot of money out of distributing a sort of low value item like that not really um so yeah for years now all these great magazines have been going down and people have been left jobless and it's been awful to watch and it's been a real phenomenon in the last five to ten years you know i never thought kerrang would go down ever um q magazine went down at the same time as yeah. kerrang i couldn't, couldn't believe that i loved q um and so um you know I, in in the in our division the music division of where I was working uh, for bass player, there was a magazine called Rhythm that went down, Drum Mag, another one called Drummer. There was a magazine called Acoustic. 
Um, all these cool mags just went down because people couldn't make any money out of them. So I totally get it. It's a nightmare. I think books have a few more decades in them without a doubt. Mm. And in fact, I think people will always pretty much buy a really beautifully produced lavish artifact, like a really nice book, a hardback book. Um, same with big old box sets that cost a load of money. But I mean, when was the last time either of you went into a record shop and spent four ninety nine on a CD? You know, no one does it anymore, do they? Really? No. You know, you stream it or you download it, don't you? Um, but on the other hand, I get either of you would go and spend fifty quid on a box set of a band that you loved, right? And you keep it, and it's a beautiful oh, yeah. artifact. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's yeah. the thinking now. So that that's um, that works well actually in the book industry because you can make a really beautiful limited edition signed book that comes with you know a, a meet and greet and comes with a gig ticket or comes with an album you know so there are loads of things you can do uh in the book publishing world still i find that because uh, i collect sorry jamie just quickly because i collect records and you get the record and the cds in there as well like you don't send send sell cds on their own anymore they seem to come with the vinyl great do you get a download as well if you want uh, I don't think there's a down. I don't think there's download in there as well. I'm not entirely sure. There's, there's no is, reason right? why they couldn't give you a code, right, and make that work. You know, yeah. that could happen. Or a gig ticket. Yeah, you can bundle all these things. It just it just needs record companies and publishers to be a bit intelligent about it. Agreed. So I was just going to piggyback on that. I think with the physical media side of things, you can keep it alive by doing like these special things, making them collectors' items. Like yeah. Paul, the Paul Stanley book biography that I've got. It's signed by Paul Stanley. I couldn't have a digital ebook signed by Paul Stanley. <laughs> that wouldn't mean shit. But I got this book Christmas Day, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's got Paul Stanley's signature in here." You know, <laughs> these sort of things. You no, know, and yeah, the other thing that people will pay for is a live experience. So people will pay a lot of money, as we know, to go and see a gig. I remember hearing, I think it was Metallica's management. I think it was them. About ten years ago, they decided to just double Metallica's concert tickets and see what happens. <laughs> and according to, I read this interview somewhere, you can find it. And they said, no one complained. Everyone went, all right. <laughs> and all these bands were doing it, right? They, whereas I remember clearly paying seven ninety nine to see Metallica in 1988, okay, which is probably 20 quid now. But imagine paying 20 quid to see Metallica now. You wouldn't. Tickets yeah, must be, be nice. what, 80 quid minimum, 70 quid minimum? Yeah. In the, you know, in the furthest, the furthest arse end of the stadium. Um, <laughs> So the fact is that, but the fact is that Metallica, not picking on them particularly, it's just they're who we're talking about. They can sell out stadiums every single year in 20 countries um, and people will pay insane amounts of money. And furthermore, they know that they can charge you 2000 quid or whatever it is for a meet and greet backstage at Wembley mm. because people will pay that. Sufficient numbers of people will pay that, you know, um, and you could do the same with the Paul Stanley book that you've just talked about. There's no reason why Paul Stanley's publisher couldn't put out a special tour edition of that book and it comes with a meet and greet, you know, uh, or a ticket for a meet and greet or a special code or a wristband or something. And you pay 500 quid for it, you know. So, you know, people, there are people in these industries, these publishing industries who are quite creative. And you need to be creative nowadays because the world is completely skin. So, you know, you need to find interesting ways of giving people value for money. Exactly. Like you said, there is ways to keep this physical medium alive, and I hope they still find it and they still keep it going. Because like you said, even regarding magazines, little old Doris, she ain't going to go on fuck a PDF. She wants Caravan Weekly in paper. The thing is, though, all those people are dying off. So what happens when, you know, the, the today's 30-year-old is very happy looking at magazines as a PDF is 60. That person is going to continue looking at it as a PDF. So there is a shelf life, no pun intended, on all these things. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where the world goes. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah. What do you lot do anyway? You've got real jobs. Yeah, I work in a hospital. Doing what? Porter. Well, you'll always have a job. People will always need hospitals. Well, yeah. That's why I went there during the pandemic. <laughs> what about you, Tom? Um, I work for Specsavers. Doing um, what? As a, as a senior dispenser. So I measure measure eyes and fix glasses and fit them. And so right. that sort of thing. You're set for life, you know, in the in the optic, op, not optics. I don't mean that. Do I mean optics? Yeah. No, you are. No, you're optics right. industry? Is that the right phrase? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. You know, these there are certain things which will never go away job-wise, you know, and, you know, those are two. Absolutely. You, sorry, Jerry. I was just going to say, but saying that, though, everything's going digital, yes, but there's e-books. So the need for authors and people like yourself will always be there. As publishers say, you always need content, you know. I hate referring to what we do as content, but I understand the need to treat it that way if you're a publisher um yeah oh yeah people will always want to read good stuff um the danger is that people read good stuff in the form of uh, a little headline and a hundred word story on a website as opposed to long form reading so there has been a demonstrable reduction in the number of people who are willing to read an article on a web page that is say two thousand words or five minute read five ten minute read we are all part of this because we all look at social media all the time and younger people will look at TikTok and those little tiny YouTube clicks. They, what do they call them? The little stories that are like one second Shorts. long. There's a name for yeah. them. Shorts. Shorts yeah. And I get it. I've looked at those and they're totally addictive. You know, you, you watch them and half an hour has gone by and then you can't remember any of them afterwards. <laughs> right. You know, those yeah. YouTube fails compilations. Oh, yeah. yeah, my kids, my kids watch them all the time, and I'll sit and watch them with them, and then at the end you go, right, what do what do we remember? I remember one. So what 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 did you achieve in that half hour? And that's half an hour gone of your finite life, right? And um, so that's the danger. People still want to read interesting stuff. The question is, is it a lengthy hundred and seventy five thousand word analysis of Black Sabbath, or is it two hundred little? interesting stories on the web so that that is yet to be resolved but uh, mm. there's a there's a movement in that direction in all in all demographics you know uh, uh, middle-aged people are just as bad as, as young kids as well it's not about blaming young people at all it's not like that but uh technology doesn't exactly enable uh, a, a sort of a dedicated attention span really no you know here we are we've been talking an hour already this is really good this is the sort of stuff that i hope people really engage with and get into um but you just know that whoever's watching this also has the option to watch a load of five second funny stories or cats, <laughs> cats jumping on a table or people falling off a skateboard you know so there's a lot of competition you've got <laughs> bloody bastards um but you're, you're a podcast host yourself uh joe if i'm rightly of dead rock stars i was yeah we did a one season yeah in about you know, i think it was 2018 i did it with Meg Wall actually who i mentioned earlier yeah yeah, what made you want to do that? What was uh, what was that all about exactly? I was driving along one day, and I'd been wanting to do a, pod a podcast, and I thought, who can I do this with? I'll do it with Mick, my friend Mick. And the name Dead Rockstar just popped into my head, and the reason for that is that dead people can't sue you. You can seriously, this is literally the reason. You can say what you want under English law and most uh, jurisdictions' laws. It's impossible to libel the dead. 
So you can say that Randy Rhodes was a complete dick if you want, or you can say Cliff Burton was a, you know, never took his library books back. You can say all this stuff and there'll be no legal comeback. You'll piss people off. I'm not, I'm saying, I'm not saying that's desirable, but there won't be any legal comeback. So we thought, all right, great. Why don't we do this then? So we did we did this list of rock stars. We did all of them, right? From, from Lemmy and Ronnie James Dio to Kurt Cobain. And we had a right old time. We got a professional producer called Ian Callahan at a company called Seven Digital, who used to do Bruce Dickinson's radio show, if you remember that. Hmm. So these were proper people. It was a proper setup. And we did um, 24 episodes, and that was that. And it was really popular. But I ran out of time. It wasn't really making any money because these things don't, you know, unless you've got like a billion listeners. Um, and maybe we, we thought about doing a live event, and then we just ran out of time. I was just too busy. It was like, it, it, as you guys know, it takes a giant bite out of your working day doing these things. Um, not just recording yeah. it, but, the, you know, the edit and the promotion, all that crap as well. Um, but it was a great laugh. I really enjoyed it. And a lot of people really, really liked it. So I might do one of those again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. It was like, like, again, like, you know, with, with you say about your band, Just Like Her, maybe let's do a one-off podcast show as well. Let's do a big charity event, Joe. Let's have all this random comeback stuff. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine? Maybe other 50-something writers have <laughs> shit indie bands they want to read. Yeah, there you go. That'd, be, that'd be amazing. That'd be awesome. I'll pay to come up, watch. Can you imagine it? I'll get me chinos and me blazer back out. <laughs> it's a bit tight than it used to be. The world isn't ready for this. Oh, it, it is, Joel. It definitely is. I had it. We did a demo and everything. It's here somewhere. I've got a tape of it, so I'll show it to you, but no. I don't know. Maybe that'll be a limited edition box set one day that will come out. Yeah, exactly. There yes. you go. Yeah, with, I have everything with it. It'd be great. Oh, the whole lot. The whole lot. Meet and greets. <laughs> yes. Oh. So, Joel, last question for myself before I pass on to Mr. Stevens over there. Is there any artist or subject you would love to write about but haven't yet, whether it be you couldn't put it together or just haven't got around to it yet? Yeah, quite a few. I always wanted to do something with Prince, but that moment clearly came and went. Um, let me see. I've pretty much done all the metal that I want to do. Although that said, the next two books are with like really big metal names. I'll tell you after this. Yeah. But um, so I'm not completely done with it. But I'm not sort of searching for it. You know what I mean? Uh, I think I'd quite like to do some stuff with politicians actually. Um, of sort of all all political persuasions really, unless they're obnoxiously right wing. Um, film directors maybe. Mm, actors activists just you know interesting people um so sorry it's not a very specific answer um there are quite a few and there's loads lined up i must have six books lined up um wow. all of which are quite interesting to do um no i've pretty much okay the, the short answers i've pretty much done all the books i want to do um but i love doing them you know i'm happy if they, if they dried up you know what i mean if, if they wasn't going to do six more i'd be happy with that but um yeah i've done enough man 35 books. I'm surprised the rainforest is still standing, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, Mr. Stevens, do you have any more questions for our wonderful guest? I do. I do. Joel, when you were six years old, wanted to be a cartoonist in a newspaper, did you ever think that now at 51 years old, this is where your life would have got to today? Did you ever think oh. this is where you'd be? Never. No, how can you? You know, I, I no. I, I'm, I feel extremely fortunate because what I do is 
is fun and it's quite easy uh, despite all the things i've said about it being hard it's not it's not hard compared to the jobs that people have is it um so no no i i, I didn't tom and um but i feel very privileged and very fortunate so I, no complaints from me whatsoever wonderful that's what we like so before we let you get out of here sir any plugs social medias anything that you want people to go and check out you know i i'd switch it all off if i could <laughs> <laughs> no i'm on facebook um i'm on twitter and instagram but i never use them i'm just there uh so yeah facebook's the way to catch hold of me if people want to get in touch and i would be uh, very happy to talk to people about all this stuff um it's a great industry to get into i recommend that people do i do quite a bit of teaching or i don't do quite a bit i do some teaching at a music college called bim which you guys might have heard of um and that's a really that's an opportunity that i really enjoy to sort of pass on a bit of knowledge to people um so there's definitely a lot of hope you know there's a lot of very very talented clever people creative people coming up in the music industry um so good times ahead my friends i feel relatively optimistic about the future relatively <laughs> I saw you had a website listed, joelmcciver.co.uk, and then it went on there. It's about a man with a white van. It is. It is. So <laughs> I, apparently there are a couple of other people with, with this strange combination of names, and one of them <laughs> happens to be a retired builder who wants to do some work for Joel McIver. I know, it's great, isn't it? Um, I had that website for years and years and years, finally got rid of it because no one was going there, and then a man with a van has it, so it's great. Because <laughs> if you Fantastic. Google your name, that's what comes up as your official website. I was like... Well, he's moved on from publishing. He clearly now he's got a man with a van. He's given up. <laughs> Maybe I just will. Maybe that's a sign. Maybe I should. <laughs> no, this has been absolutely unbelievable. Thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you. I really, really enjoyed talking it. to you. It's been a lot of fun. Please stay yeah. in touch. Oh, oh absolutely. Really don't, you, don't you worry about that. <laughs> hey, no getting rid of us now, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Hero, that. thank you so much, Joe. Appreciate it. Take care of yourself. I must be to you soon. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Take care, buddy. See you later. Bye-bye. What a fantastic conversation that was. I loved that one. Yeah, And never forget, people, you too could be the editor of Caravan Weekly. Yep, absolutely. Never give up on those hopes and dreams. Never. The magazine industry might be failing because I'm what at the moment, but don't worry about it. It'd be absolutely fine, I promise you. Um, Joel, thank you so much for taking the time out to chat to my friend. We really appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and we'll definitely take him on that offer. Definitely. Everyone, uh, go and buy one of Joel's books. Give them a... No, don't just buy one. Buy all 35. Give them a read. Incredible stuff. Absolutely. And we hope you guys enjoy listening to it as much as we did recording it. Mr. Stevens. I thought you could do a David Bowie then. No, I was going for Damn. stereophonics. Oh, fair enough. What's uh, what's going on? Thought it's participation time, baby. Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to participate in Jamie's participation challenge. This week, I said, we all have those celebrities in life we admire and respect. And some of us have been lucky enough to meet them. This week, I'm asking you, what are your most memorable moments meeting a celebrity, whether it be good or bad? And yes, the photo that accompanied this post is a picture of a very young me meeting Kiss drummer Eric Singer, because I didn't want to be mean and put a picture of a random of a celebrity. No, fair. Embarrass myself. It's fine. What say you, Mr. Stevens? Now, I don't want to sound arrogant, but obviously we've met a lot of people. 
Um, so the one that came to the forefront of my mind was Michael McIntyre walking into his car and how desperate he was to go to Boogie Lounge in Cheltenham. This is before he this is before he became like arena massive. Um, because I discovered him before WrestleMania in 2006. I saw his special on TV uh, when he first came to the comedy store and just fell in love with him immediately. Um, and he played a little intimate show as he played the Cheltenham Town Hall in April 2008, uh, which I went to and then met him afterwards. Um, and everyone left and he came out and he went, where's everybody? This is my encore. Um, which I thought was really funny. And we chatted for a bit, got us some photos. And then he walked out and Boogie Lounge, he went, Boogie Lounge should be across the road. He was like, where's everybody going? We need to go to Boogie Lounge. He was like shouting at people across the road, be like, we're going to Boogie Lounge. Um, and then I walked into his car. So yeah, that, that, was, awesome. that, was, that was a great, that was a great moment. That was. That is awesome. I love that. Like you say, do you count what we do on this show as meeting people? Like, well, it isn't, it isn't, it's like they're sat in their living room or wherever they are. They're not, we've not met them per se, but we're hanging out with them. Because if you're going to say that, then John Karabi's going to stand out to me because I got to speak to my favorite singer of all time. But meeting people face to face, I struggle to think of any that jump out at me. If I'm going to go for any, it's meeting the murder dolls and Slipknot and those guys back in the day. Like, I used to be on the Roadrunner Records street team. So when they did meet oh, yeah. them, I used to get to go to meet them and everything like that. And just murder dolls. I think I met them like five times. And incredible, incredible, incredible guys. That was so lovely to and so down to earth. You think, you know, like Joey Jordison, he's one of the biggest plans, bands on the planet. You think he's, you know, like, <laughs> no, don't you know who I am? But no, he's incredible. And they were such lovely people to meet. There is one standout story for me, meeting someone as a child, but my mother has decided to embarrass me in, in one of the answers. So I'm going to leave that for her. So, yeah, there we go. And I did once meet Wolf from the Gladiators, which is fucking awesome. Anyway, let's get some audience answers. I'm going to start off with the man we normally end with, Mr. Ryan Williams. He says, when I was in high school, I was part of a volunteer organisation called Key Club. And we had a celebrity golf game. It was mostly local celebrities, but one was Steve Young, who at the time was quarterback of the 49ers. Long story short, he tried coming in the back entrance so he could avoid crowds. And I had the genius to realise to realize it. So I helped unload his car. And because of that, he tipped me $40 and gave me an autograph. Oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. I like that. That's awesome. Oh, Steve Young, what a hero. And he also says, we have a family that regularly dines at a restaurant I work at. Apparently, the patriarch of this family is Jorge Hernandez, who is the accordion player and singer of Los Tigre de Norte, a pretty popular Nortino band. Every time Jorge and his family come in, it is a memorable experience. He and his family are the nicest people I've ever met, plus very generous tippers, which is always a bonus. That's always a big win. I like that one. Marissa Boyden, I love this answer. This is great. She says, sneak in a birthday card to Brody Dahl's sister for my friend's 21st, and she came outside to hand it back personally. That is amazing. And then she says, they spent two hours chatting and drinking vodka, and then she put us on the guest list for the show in London. She was so bloody lovely. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. I love it when celebrities just go above and beyond, just for no, yeah. no real reason. Just they decide to. It's great. Joshua Williams, Michael Sheen, naming our uni theatre after him or meeting Rob Brydon and congratulating me after performing performing with him on stage with a choir. Oh, just remembered another one I missed off. I once served Frank Skinner some fish. God bless. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Rick Joyce says, 
This is one I'm going to need some follow-up from you on at the end of this one. It says, getting Brian Cox, the actor, and his family a beer when working at the Latitude Festival, getting Funeral for Fen to sign their album when they played at the Two Pigs, and then he says, meeting so many band members at Sonosphere and be by, being told by Tom afterwards. What? In 2010, uh, well, in 2008, I was approached at Waitrose by two guys who worked for Live Nation who did all the festival work and stuff and <laughs> met bands. And you know, it's one of those things where you go, uh-huh, of course you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, whatever. Because uh, I got a phone call, like, oh, do you want to come work the Iron Maiden show with Trivium in London? And I was like, yeah, all right, mate, whatever. And then I looked, I was like, oh, it's genuine. Oh, fuck. So I rang him back. So I called the position's been filled. Anyway, in 2010, um, I got to go and work all the major festivals around the UK, but for like the bands and like look at the bands, feed them, the guests, that sort of thing. Hmm. And they allowed me a plus one. So I took Rick with me. And we literally went to Latitude, Leeds and Reading, Sonosphere, Wireless, Kings of Leon Day, Big Day Out, Hard Rock Calling, Download. And it was just the greatest nice. summer of all time. Um, working for the head of Sony, uh, lovely bloke, and uh, yeah, I Rick would like certain people to go, That's blown by the way, and he'd be like, Oh, cool, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> it was awesome, dude. The best thing ever was, um, Al Murray was so drunk on the last day of, of Download Festival on my birthday, and Aerosmith were headlining. And he came up to me and he was like, Have you got any food left? I said, I'm really sorry, we gave them what we had left to Aerosmith, and he went, Fucking hell. I don't want to miss a thing where I'd fucking miss them and walked off. <laughs> Two weeks later, working at Hard Rock Calling, bumped into him again, but he's sober this time and he remembered. He remembered the conversation. It was fucking That's hilarious. amazing. God, Al Murray, <laughs> pub landlord. What a legend. Keris Mansfield says she once met Kevin from the Backstreet Boys in the bar of a hotel that she was staying at after seeing the Backstreet Boys. That is amazing. I'm not only jealous she met a Backstreet Boy, she saw them live. And then yeah. and she said also that Jamie Cullum kissed her on the cheek. Yep. I'm trying to remember who the fuck Jamie Cullum is. He's the piano player, isn't he? Um, like, he's always at the jazz festivals and stuff. Yes, I remember that name. I remember that name. Diana Weng, this is actually a story she told us when we interviewed her former guest, Diana Weng. She says, asking Tony Leung from Shang-Chi for a dance at a Canton nightclub in Hong Kong when she was 19 years old. He turned me down, but we took pictures and he gave autographs for her three friends and her. That is a fantastic story. I love that story. <laughs> Imagine just being in a nightclub again. Do you know what? Fuck it, girls. I'm going to go ask for a dance. <laughs> fair play. Yeah, fair, fair play, play sir. Absolutely. Dina Payne and a story I absolutely love. Telling, telling Bernard Sumner, the singer from New Order, that I don't like New Order. <laughs> she told us that story at Bloodstock. That was fucking she hilarious. Did. That was fucking what a legend. Um, Dave Markovecki in an answer that really amused me, and I kind of want some more backstory, but at the same time, I don't want more backstory. Uh, offering Kerry King a jelly baby. <laughs> it's just... Beautiful. Joe Smith says, my favourite memory is when I met King Charles and he praised me for homeschooling my kids, which is amazing. And then she also remembers when she met Jimmy Carr and he called me a... Cheers for that, Jimmy. Much called the C word, Joe. The C word, yeah. Aaron Batchelor says his favourite moment of meeting a celebrity was having a beer with you, apparently. Yeah, he's an idiot. <laughs> Runs in the family. Um, I appreciate it, but, you know. Uh, Callum Treacher 
Hello, sir. Says he sold Richard Hammond a pair of Converse. I love that. That's what he's took for sure, yeah. That. It's amazing. Um, a couple left. Uh, <laughs> Ruby Goodwin says, when Chris Jericho wouldn't let me go to bed, instead he brought me a round of triple straight vodkas and none of us went to sleep. What? My mate Clem went to the Kiss Cruise and Fozzie were playing on the Kiss Cruise. And after their set, Jericho just went out drinking with everyone. And she was one of the people he was uh, drinking with. And then she went to a fuzzy VIP meet and greet thing afterward, like down the road. And she was like, let me buy you a drink back for all the drinks and the kiss cruise. He's like, yeah, I can't drink before a show. Sorry. Oh. She never even got to buy him a drink back. That's cool, though. He's, He's a, a great story. He's a hero. Oh, He's yeah, a dream guest. Oh, definitely. Ash Bentley. I once met David Dickinson and was blown away by the fact he was as orange and had he was so orange and had a glowing orbit around him. Yep, I've also met David Dickinson, and he actually does. Very spot on there. <laughs> oh, loving these. There's so many great answers. Graham White shaking Muhammad Ali's hand when I was nine years old. His hand was oh. massive. Oh my God. That's, oh, what a moment that must have been. I know, right? <laughs> okay, we've had lots of nice answers. So we're going ha- to have a not so nice answer in this one. Ian Fitz says, we were eating dinner at a metal all-dayer festival in Belgium. My band were on the same stage as this particular band. I accidentally knocked over the salt onto this man's dinner. And instead of just letting me apologise, he decided to square up to me. So I headbutted him. That man was Danny Filth. Oh, wow. (laughs) There you go. There we are, then. (laughs) You could see why this man became a security guard. And last but not least, I've got loads more, but we're going to be here a week. So last but not least, I'll end it here. My mother says Robert Palmer. This, um, oh, God, what was that song Robert Palmer really sang? Might as well fix it, you're addicted to love. Oh, to love, yeah. yeah. Robert Palmer slipping over and landing at, his, at my mom's feet. <laughs> she was... He was running down a corridor at the Aston Villa Leisure Centre and ran straight into, um, into my mom and landed at her feet. <laughs> Is that what the story you were going to tell was, is it? No, the story that follows up is her favourite story as well is me meeting the Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. Oh, wow. I WrestleMania 7, I went to a VHS taping uh, signing at Virgin Megastores in Birmingham. I walked up to this man who I admired, was one of my favourite wrestlers. I looked at him dead in the eye and I said, where's your dog? Of all the things I could have said. Where's your dog? <laughs> And apparently he looked at me and went, left him at home, and then I walked off. Oh, Jay. At least I got to make it up to have a full-on conversation with his daughter down there, I guess. Well, this is very, very true. So he kind of made up for it in that way. Yeah. Where's your dog? Fucking brummy child. But thank you so much to everybody that participated in the challenge this week. We massively appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. You absolutely smashed at the park this week. We had some great fucking answers. There was loads in there. It's wonderful. We love it so very, very much. But if you enjoyed Jamie's participation challenge, Caleb's Treachings, Tom's Journal, the bullshit we talked about at the beginning, and the interview, you can join the other 58 editions of the Chronicles of Podcasts available wherever you get your podcasts from. Spotify, Google, Apple, maybe. We're also on the YouTube at the Chronicles of Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button, click that bell before you get notified of any new videos released, and comment, comment, comment. Thank you, Ron Wasserman. Um, 
You can also find our hashtag WBW way back Wednesdays. They are now finished, but they are there for you to enjoy. All of our interviews from our previous channels available for you to just feast your eyes upon. And obviously, we're currently releasing our Bloodstock live interviews that I believe are completed this week coming. Um, so they would have been finished yesterday uh, on re- this release. Um, so we hope that you enjoyed those thoroughly too. Thank you for checking those out. Um, you can also come and find us on Facebook at the chronicles of podcast please like the page share it as much as physically possible uh and just send us those gifts memes and all the bullshit if you want to we don't mind we, we we really appreciate it jamie um where else could you find us sitting in a little reading hole under a nice little blanket reading a book all about metallica written by this week's guest or on the twitter at tco pod jamie where else could you find us looking down the end of a straw going is this one hole or two Absolutely. Or on the Instagram at TCO Pod. You can also find us on TikTok at TCO Pod. Please come and enjoy some of our. We don't dance really yeah. or do any of that sort of stuff, but we, we give you some good videos. The Chesney Hawks video is definitely my favorite on there. <laughs> um, you can also come on down to our beautifully brand spanking, sexy, deliciously wonderful, and incredible looking website at www.thechroniclesofpodcast.com. All the shows are on there, all of our us are on there, and all of our affiliations and sponsors are on there. The Chronicles of Podcast. Downloaders, reviewers, sharers, raters, tell all of your friends about us. Allow us into your ears. But most importantly, say ooh la la, say zoom. Oh, come on, oh, come on. I said I say ooh la la, say zoom. Uh, come on, uh, come on, uh, say ooh, la la, yeah, say zoom, yeah, uh, come on, uh, come on, I uh, say ooh, ooh, and so we're going we're to hear you go until you get this right, ooh, ooh la, la la, say zoom, zoom. Come, say, come on, uh, come on, uh, say ooh, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that a song even existed, <laughs> uh, first, all the lyrics I think, isn't it, <laughs> possibly, <laughs> this is where you find out there's actually like verses of like really intricate lyrics that no one remembers, yeah, probably, <laughs> Before we get out of here, let's say thank you to a few of our friends. First off, as always, we say thank you to the musical maestro that gives us all of our music every single week. That man is the incredible Mr. Matt Roberts. Go check him out on all social medias at Matt Roberts Music. Go find him on Spotify. Give him a follow and go listen to those incredible songs he has on there, especially the acoustic version of Your Love, his latest single. Go check it out because it is superb. And go follow him on YouTube as well because he puts videos on there as well. And just give him all the love because he's an incredibly talented musician and he bloody deserves it. And we need to say thank you to our friends at Stay Cozy Clothing, www.staycozyclothing.com or download the smartphone app that is absolutely right go on there look at the catalog that's on there there is some beautiful hoodies t-shirts sweaters tapestries caps jogging bottoms you name it they're all there but they have one thing in common they are all beautiful and cozy that's exactly what they are Braden is currently on tour right now the stay cozy tour and all the merchandise can be found on that tour so if you are lucky enough to go to say we can fly live in america at the moment pick up as much as you can if you go on the website and you find the dit where it says enter discount code, you enter the discount code The Chronicles and get your 10% off your order. If you go and see him live, I'm not sure if that'll work if you go to the till and just shout The Chronicles in Braden's face, but give it a try. You never know. See what it happens. Might, might work. You never know. But go 
Thank you, massive thank you to Braden and Sean for all the support you give us. And also, while you're on the website, go check out the collaborative T-shirt between them and the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. It is an absolutely stunning design. And more importantly, 50% of the proceeds from that T-shirt go straight to the foundation. That means the absolute world that the guys are supporting these guys. And talking of these guys, it is the Sophie Lancaster Foundation stamping out prejudice, hatred and intolerance everywhere we absolutely love this charity look at tom there modeling that beautiful t-shirt weirdo mosher freak if only they'd stopped at name calling exactly that they didn't stop at name calling and unfortunately a beautiful young woman lost her life just because she was different and that happened so many years ago and it's still happening today and it's absolutely bonkers that we are still having to have this conversation today if you could all do me a little favor if you have ever experienced anything like this you've been treated differently because of the way you look the music you listen to whatever it may be head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com click the hate crime tab and fill in that questionnaire it is a very special event coming up very soon so we need all the support we can get for this charity let's just get this done it is ridiculous let us make this happen the alternative subculture be made one of the strands of hate crime and let's make sure the people who are treated differently have the support that is needed and the people that are treated differently are punished the acceptable and appropriate way and last but not least thanks to this handsome bugger over here oh look at him and thanks to this one I can't get my, I don't know, this one right here. Oh, that works, yeah. Over here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, guys, I second everything Jamie just said. Absolutely everything Jamie just said. I second all of it. Only second, no third or fourth, just second all of it. Um, but thank you so much for checking the show out, guys. We uh, massive thank you to Joel uh, again for coming on the show. We really, really enjoyed chatting to you, my friends. Uh, we look forward to what you produce in the future. Uh, hopefully, you guys go and buy all of his books right about now. That would be absolutely wonderful. And a massive thank you to Jamie, my co-host. Um, oh, it's been thanks, a, another great episode. Another great episode. Eh? It's been beautiful. I loved it. We love it. I've really loved it too. When, as for this week, uh, we will see you all next week. Good. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Live fast and get fucked or whatever.